Fire Sprite gets new digs. EA gives us a cliffhanger. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me, as always, is the undeniable Chris Figs. Hey, bud. Chris. How you, doing? you know what? I'm here, man. We're here. <laughs> We're back for a lucky episode 313. Now, everybody from the 313, <laughs> throw your hands in there. Yeah, follow <laughs> your, me. It's actually throw your motherfucking hands up, you know. Yeah, listen. It's all right. <laughs> 10 seconds into the show, so. That's all right, yeah, you know. It's actually, just, just before anyone says it, I am aware that the actual movie, if I'm not mistaken, is everybody from the 302, throw your hands in the air because Fat Joe is through. But I, just to double check, or to let you know what's going on here, I am parodying the uh, version from Scary Movie 3. Why the fuck would that be the one that came to your mind first? Because like, Scary I Movie swear- 3 is, is an epitome of a movie. It's so good. Yeah, but Eight Mile is the one it I came mean, from, yeah. and it's definitely three one three. Here, no, but here's the thing: you it's got three one three. Yeah, it's definitely it's not, three. is it three? Oh, uh, let's look. It's everybody. Yeah, it. on. All right, look. Eminem, hold on. Eight Mile, everybody. It might be from the three one three. Who knows? But yeah, I had it. So. What am I? What is the three hundred two? Oh yeah, three hundred two's. I'm flipping them in my head. Here I am being a smug ass, and I'm flipping in my head <laughs> I was because like, what I are forgot. You talking about? I forgot that in the one <clears throat> in the scary movie three one is where he says three hundred two. Fat Joe is through, and it's because he's rapping against Fat Joe in that movie. <laughs> that's his. That's his rap person. I was like, you got um, it right, and now you're gaslighting me into thinking that's I'm wrong. So fucking good. I can't believe that I I flipped them in my own head. Oh God man! Damn. And I guess I don't know why, but in my head I was like, "Why would Fat Joe be in the <laughs> in Scary Movie 3? Clearly, he would have had to have. Been. But I also forget that, that was the that's the Clarence rap. You can't, you know, miss the whole yeah. thing. Clarence can, parents yeah. had a really good marriage. Yeah, that's true. You know who else had a really <laughs> good marriage? Fucking Activision and Microsoft. Boom! Transition, baby. Two minutes and fifty four seconds. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys if you are new to the podcast first and foremost welcome we hope you enjoy what we're going to be talking about here today uh we are of course a playstation podcast but we're really a gaming podcast that looks at the gaming industry through the lens of being fans more specifically through a single console of course we play them all we have things that are nice to say about nintendo microsoft pc all those things uh, as well as bad things to say about them when we feel like they're slipping up as much as we do with sony but we hope you enjoy what we have going on. Today, we're going to get into a few things. We're going to be talking about Diablo uh, 4's first season, how I was wrong and mixed up the lyrics for, uh, you know, <coughs> Scary Movie 3 and Eminem. Oh, wait, we've already done that one. Uh, Naughty Dog having a leadership shakeup. We're going to be talking a little bit about Fire Sprite running into their, uh, their new studio and a bit more. <coughs> but the way we always start these shows off, are, it's very time-honored tradition. We're, what we do is we check out what each other's been playing so we can give you guys, listeners, as well as ourselves, a chance to hear about maybe something new or put something on our radar that maybe wasn't there before, or just give you our thoughts on some of the biggest games that are up and about if we happen to be playing new <laughs> games, which uh, this year, Chris and I have been taking multiple sabbaticals from playing new games <laughs> in a timely fashion. So without further ado, I will cede the floor to you, Chris. Uh, let the people know that your journey is at its end. Yes, my journey with Geralt of Rivia is mostly done. I did get the platinum in The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, 
and I'm fucking hyped, bro. I'm so proud of you. Nothing feels as good, Chris. You <clears throat> should take this as a compliment. <clears throat> as seeing you prove yourself so fucking wrong again and again. <laughs> <laughs> Every single game that I have told you is actually great for the most part. Let's uh, ignore the few ones, but uh, stick with the bit. Okay. Mm. For every single game I've told you is actually great that you've continued to say is one of the worst games you've ever played. You've come back <laughs> around. on. Yes. That's what's called integrity to all the American politicians out there is that I can come back into this podcast and be like, yeah, it's pretty fucking good. Pretty fucking good. So look, you're, what, eight years after this game originally came out, you're finally getting around to playing it and beating it. Yeah. This is an interesting question because I think that I'm just kind of curious as to where you land on it. It's been a long time since I've played it. It's a very memorable game, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So I do remember much of what happened, and I remember my ending. And we had a brief discussion over the differences of our endings um, as well as you had with some other people. But in the context of where gaming is now, how do you see that game? Do you feel like playing it now? It feels like a game from eight years ago, or do you think that's one of those timeless games that, for the most part, is just going to always, to some degree, hold up? Um, yeah, I guess I get to say this after getting the platinum. This is the best RPG of all time. I think like, it's it, it's insanely good. Like, very clearly, the best RPG I've ever played. I wouldn't necessarily put it on the level of like Divinity. I think that's a different type of RPG. Mm-hmm. But for like the quote unquote WRPG type thing, it's easily the best one. Unless you consider okay. Red Red Dead a WRPG, and then we could have a conversation. I still think Witcher would come out on top, but The Witcher Three is phenomenal. So you know, we, we I don't really know what I would call Red Dead Two. I don't think I would call Red Dead One. It's a, it's an immersive an RPG. Sim. But you could make the argument that it's an RPG, and I would listen to it. I don't even know that I'd say that it's an immersive sim, though. I definitely think it's further along that line than Red Dead One is by yeah, far. Absolutely. You know, like it's it's definitely borrowing from that type of game ideology. And considering that I played the entire thing in first person, it definitely felt more like an immersive Ugh. sim sometimes. Crazy um, man, it, it's so good <clears throat> that way too. Um, I know that they consider it action adventure, uh, but I, I wonder. We get into this thing, and there's a conversation kind of going around with uh, Final Fantasy 16 that right now is not necessarily the time to get into it. Uh, though it does sort of tie into your conversation about <laughs> RPGs and uh, whatnot. But games have all started including so much RPG-like elements and in a light version of it that you get to a point where some games like you you can get to a point where as i've said before like the new god of war is probably more of an rpg than final fantasy 16 in terms of what you would expect gameplay wise mm-hmm. uh and that's not a sentence you would have thought you'd ever say it doesn't mean <laughs> no. that it doesn't mean anything for either of them it's just an interesting observation um but i guess why would you say, because I think I have a, a point that I want to add on to this. It depends on what your answer is. That's an interesting thing. Why would you say that you think this is among the best RPGs that you've played? Um, like, What is it about the game? If, if you had to quantify it, what would you point your finger at as some notable parts? 
It's hard to quantify in anything but feeling, but I think the most telling thing about it for me is I got the platinum and then downloaded the PS4 version. Mm-hmm. You know, because I wanted to live in that world more. And I still have stuff to do in the PS5 version. I want to do the DLC. Um, sure. But I didn't want to stop playing it. I didn't want to stop being Geralt, you know? And there's just nothing else to do right now other than the DLC. So I looked, I went back and I'm like, I'll just do it on Death March again. I'm like, I don't care. Go see my girl, uh, my girl, Saris, and chill. But <clears throat> no, I, I think that there's a lot of issues with it. I still think, I still think it controls like dog shit for the most part. Like Roach is impossible. Like I, I by by the last like thirty hours I played of that game, I was running everywhere. You know, I would just run, set a waypoint to the next fast travel location, and go there. But I think it just does everything well. I don't think there's anything that's not engaging. I think all the stories are fun. I think it does really capture that open world. Like I want to go there and see what that is. And you obviously with any game, you get to a point where like, I'm not going to go do monster dens and Velen. That's a waste of my time, but it was still fun that I could like fall off the side of a cliff and land in like a vampire nest, you know? And that literally happened to me. So, you know, there's stuff about that game where I don't know if it's quantifiable in like a, oh, the gameplay was really good or the story is really great, which the story is really great. And the, I don't even know if it's the penultimate, you know, story quest of that game, the stuff at Care Morhen was the Dude. coolest shit I've ever experienced playing a video game. It's so cool. The ending I, of that game is iconic. Yeah, and I think the ending of the game is brilliant, right? Because mm-hmm. I thought Kara Morhen was the ending of the game, and it kind of is because for the next five hours of that game, it's ending things, right? Yeah, yeah it's, like you do to, to stuff with uh, flip on your Final Fantasy sixteen thing, like right. So you. We can get it a little bit out of the way. You've played a, a, a part of Final Fantasy 16. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I mean this in two different ways, but the difference is, is like Final Fantasy's <clears throat> setup is like four to five hours. Mm-hmm. The Witcher 3's resolution is like it's four, like four to five or five hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what Final Fantasy does to set up the story. And I assume it'll do the same to wrap up the story. Um, I'm not quite there, but. Um, it's kind of what I feel like is is like that's what The Witcher did, right? It's like we're going to have something that starts the end, but then you're going to continue to live out the end as things continue to resolve instead of us making it a flashy 30 minute resolution. And I think that that's part of what plays into the sense of scale in that game where Mm -hmm. everything feels so large and like everyone's living and time is passing and you're having to see these things happen because the resolution takes place over time instead of trying to throw a shitload of stuff at you at once. And you, you, you can see it, in our discord happening in real time where I was in Kier Morhen doing that whole quest. And I sent in our discord, wow, this ending is fucking nuts. And then I think it was stingray X was like, Oh, I'd love to hear what happened in your ending. And I didn't, I didn't even go back into the discord for three days because I couldn't answer his question because <laughs> I felt like a dumbass Cause I thought that was the end. And I, it just kept going and stuff kept resolving. Like I thought it was really cool. It was like, okay, you know, Oh, here's what happens with Dijkstra. 
here's what happens with Lambert and someone else, you know, all of these like tiny things that just kind of end, like end and end the story of these things where it's what I always said about Mass Effect 3, where Mass Effect 3 is the ending of the Mass Effect trilogy in all ways, right? The last five minutes that everyone was upset about was the ending of Mass Effect 3, but it wasn't the ending of the trilogy. That whole game was, and that's how this felt, where the the last four to five hours was the ending of the whole game, including like your side shit and yeah. stuff you did with do like even the fact that like there was a resolution to doo doo in the last like ten minutes of the game and I'm like all right cool like that's cool nice to know that doo doo's doing something you know so I've only played it once yeah. and I do intend to play it again it's a, it's a great game. Uh, it lives in my memory quite fondly. I am a little curious to see if it's one of those games where when you go to play again, it's still great, but it lives in your memory even more fondly. That does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I recall, there's like 36 permutations to the ending. Most of them are small and don't have any huge impact. They're just more for you as an individual, where three of them are very big and have big impacts on the way that the world is at the resolution of things. I um, want you to play it again because I want to talk about it. Spoiler chats, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? If you catch me at the right time, I might do it. I, I don't know how I'd feel going like diving directly into that off of um, Final Fantasy sixteen, yeah. Um, just because they're beefy games, uh, but you, I guess one thing I kind of wanted to, to point out, and I wanted to see if you said it naturally, but I'll go ahead and kind of feed it to you to see where uh, what you think about it, and then how I think that plays into something oh, I feel I'm like hungry. Final Fantasy sixteen is teaching to me about oh, okay. not only myself but other players and the way they perceive things. Um, one of the things that's often said about The Witcher three is that it's got some of the best side content in any game, and one of the things I keep seeing about Final Fantasy 16 between people is a very similar thing of Final Fantasy 16 has got to some people great side content that really builds out the world and, and all this and that. And then some people it's just fetch questy MMO style quests. And the thing that's weird is I guess both are technically true. And I mean that second sense and not a pejorative way. Like, yeah, they're, kind of fetch questy or something weird or small. We have to go and talk to somebody and see something. But I guess what I'm kind of figuring out here is that the way you perceive a game's side content, I think is through the lens of how much the game is doing a good job of making you enthralled in it in the main story. And there are games that skirt around that in really weird ways like Skyrim, where you can have a entirely enthralled experience while never touching the main story. I think that's also true to a pretty good extent with, um, with the Witcher three where it's not as true for final fantasy 16 in large part, because it's not open world in the same sense that those Mm -hmm. two games are. Uh, but what I was thinking about is I have found all the side content. Like I haven't really had a side quest annoy me in that game. And that's because, I'm so enthralled in the world that the side quests are a way for me to learn more about characters and the world and the way the world perceives certain things that are happening, the way they they perceive certain things that just exist in the world, how they deal with certain aspects of the world that are in their control or out of their control. And I'm so enthralled in what's happening in the game that that is reward enough. I don't need the most fun gameplay encounter. And those exist, right? Like hunts are incredibly fun. And some side uh, content pushes you out onto uh, hunts. 
But what I've seen is that for people that just look at it and think, oh, this is just MMO side content, I feel like it's because they're not as enthralled in the game. And I start thinking, like, are there people out there where The Witcher 3 didn't land for them and so the side content's not as good anyway because you're just kind of playing it and you're like, eh. Like, if you don't care about the world, the whole point of side content is to further flesh out a game. Um, Or at least that's the way I kind of view it. It's like, what do you think the purpose of side content is and how do you think your own enrapturement in the game ties into your enjoyment of it? Well, it depends. Um, I think with The Witcher, and this was definitely my approach, obviously I was going for Platinum, so there were some side quests that I had to do. Um, <clears throat> sure. But a lot of it, I don't. I didn't do all of the side content. I just did what I sure. thought Geralt would do. And that was part Which of is, why I loved it as, yeah. a, as an RPG, because there were a couple of side contents where I was like, yeah, I think Geralt would do this. Geralt would go find this lady's husband or whatever. But then there were some other ones where it was like, oh, go lift up these effigies of a priest. And I was like, why the fuck would Geralt do that? I don't want to do it. And I doubt he does. So we're not going to help you, old lady. You know, and I never did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So I sure. think a big thing with side content is how it plays into the game and how it plays into the character you're playing, which is why I think that's the reason I would put Witcher 3 as a as the top RPG I've ever played. Because that whole time I was playing it, I was playing Geralt, but like I was playing Geralt. Do you know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. like in Skyrim, I'm, I'm the I, Chris Figueroa, was and is the, dragon the Dragonborn. Man. Yep. But in The Witcher. I'm Chris Figueroa doing what Geralt would do for the most part. I fu- I fuck Triss. So I'm not exactly what Geralt would do, but um, <clears throat> that was, I think a big thing, which made me love, love that game. And like the side content was like, okay, this stuff's great. And then it was small things like the side content that is really blown out and done. Well is stuff that blows away. Like the bloody Baron blows away the main story of Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible side. It quest. blows away the main to story the of a lot of games. Where it feels like a mainline quest. The yeah. entire time you're doing, you're like, and yeah, this not. matters. This matters. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and that's that's the one disappointing thing is like when that quest resolves, nothing happens with any of that stuff. You know? You did just put this whatever, we'll continue on past that. But well, that, that was into, the one thing where it disconnects a little bit because the ending of that concept that side quest doesn't mean anything, you know, once once everything ends. So there's that stuff. But that's it's a video game, that's fine. <laughs> well, sure. And you know, you, you go into this weird thing because one of the big conversations, and I even said it, I'm guilty of saying it, even though I said that I meant it with absolutely zero negativity. Um but this idea that RP, that uh, Final Fantasy 16 is not an RPG, but in some ways you're exactly you're you're doing exactly what I'm talking about. Like when I'm playing the game, I was really thinking about 16 because it's not an open world. But one of the big differences between most character action games like Devil May Cry 5 and whatnot is that the world is still there. It's like hubs. If you look at where the map is separated, like you see all these fast travel points, but if you go, there's four quadrants and each of those four quadrants are connected with multiple fast travel points within them that you just see on the map as somewhere you can go. Now they're hubs, but in a way it's it's open hub. 
and you can go back to any area almost any time that you want. And there's side content that you can choose to do. Just because you go talk to the person doesn't mean it's automatically added to your quest list. You literally have the option to say, I don't have time for that or I don't care about that. That doesn't you know, sound important to me. Um, and I was thinking about for as many ways as I feel like you don't have a lot of control over how you build your gameplay, or at least not to the degree that you would expect from a, a traditional RPG. Um, I think this game makes up in spades by putting you in the shoes of Clive and doing exactly what you're talking about with, with Geralt, where I'm playing it and I'm looking and I'm doing all side content and all the side content, there's two motivations. Of course I'm doing it because I don't even know if there's a trophy for side content. If there is, I kind of just want to go ahead and cover it all. But the secondary and stronger motivation, or I guess technically the, the, the other one's secondary, but the primary and stronger motivation rather than is I, I go up to them and I hear what they have to say. And when you think about Clive's role in the game and how the game builds him up to this point before side content even becomes a thing, when people are asking him to do things, the role he has in the story feels like, yeah, Clive would be doing this. And I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil anything, but it's in my mind, I'm like, this is perfect role playing though. Because if you play as Clive and you don't see Clive through your lens as someone who would care about this, then you can choose on any given side content, which ones you do and don't want to interact with. Uh, And so in that way, I feel like this game's, a role-playing game through and through, but it's not in a traditional gameplay sense. And so it, it ends up in a weird spot where you can, I guess maybe I'm clinging too much to the, uh, the literal definition of a role-playing, <laughs> but that's what it feels like is I'm role-playing as Clive and I'm, as with all role-playing games, you're exerting some level of your will over your understanding of how you view Clive. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Yeah, it's kind of like how you and I probably perceive Geralt slightly differently. Like we have similarities and there's a lot of overlap, but in the end of things, there's probably things that I'd consider Geralt to do that you'd consider he not to do and then vice versa. Yeah. And that's likely. interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just started thinking about Final Fantasy 16 is it, it does so many things in a weird way that feels like other games, and it does so many things in a way that I don't feel like it's getting discussed that very much. I can't think of very many games that feel like character action games that are also still open and allow you to go through them. Like, I've, you've never played a Devil May Cry that also allows you to just return to any point in the map and talk with people and interact with NPCs and get side content. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the closest that you could find is probably like a near near Tamina because they are very action driven gameplay wise but they're still very RPG driven in their gameplay systems and whatnot so it's an interesting game I'm curious to see you get through more of it Uh, from what you have played what are you feeling on it it seems good Um, I mean how many hours would you roughly say 30 minutes (laughs) oh yeah you got a while. <laughs> yeah, that's why I put barely on there. I mean, it was enough where like I saw the opening and that big ice lady and the the big titan or whatever. And I was like, wow, this certainly has been a great movie. And then I stopped and I did the t- uh, tutorial. And that's not an insult on the game. I'm sorry to tell you, that's how it starts. And then um, it's I literally had, what it is. Right, <laughs> it's it like the opening. Movie. It's like the opening so, movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. fine. Like I wasn't, I wasn't complaining about it. So uh, it's cool. Um, 
the so far there's one aspect that I've been hearing really played up that I don't see why it's so cool and novel, but I'm not far enough to in the game to talk about it. It's just what from what I've heard on podcasts and in being in our Discord, I'm like, I don't understand what's so different about this than anything else. But I'll have to continue playing. It's the, the act of time lore. That just seems like flashbacks to me, and I don't know why people are acting like it's this revolutionary thing. But I'm not far enough well, in the game where you... I can say it's not. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, because it's, it's not like it's a spoiler or anything, right? Yeah. The idea of active time lore yeah. and how it works is that at any point in time during any cutscene, you I, it may even exist at the beginning. I didn't try it. Um, you can hit start, and uh-huh. anything that's in that cutscene that would <clears throat> matter or that you'd go, well, I wonder what that is, or I wonder how that impacts, instead of only having to rely on context clues like you used to have to, which still works, Um like I kind of mentioned with you uh, last week about the idea of the, the crystal fetters and what they do. Um, the context of the scene kind of told me their purpose, but I was curious about the history of them. So I paused it and there was like seven bubbles characters that are in there. So you can click on them. Cause sometimes you see a character that you haven't really been introduced yet, mm-hmm. but you can at least get a little bit more context. If you haven't picked up on about maybe what they are, who they are, maybe they're royalty from this place. Maybe there's something from this place. Um, maybe a location that you're not familiar with. So you can click on and kind of go, what is that? And it kind of give you like a description of what it is, as well as like a brief lore thing about why it matters in that world. And that's really cool because I don't think I've ever seen a game do it at that point. And part of that comes from pretty much being in-game cutscenes. You know, it's everything is running yeah. real time. So you can stop and go, oh, cool. I wonder what this is. Instead of having to wait for the game to maybe answer it or for you to have to go to a separate menu later and be like, hey, you've unlocked this character. You can just yeah, do it read a in real time. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. the first time it happens, like, it's just you go into the training grounds with younger Clyde or Clive. I was like, this is cool, but this is just a flashback. And like, I was listening to another podcast that was like coming all over themselves because of how cool it was. I'm like, I don't understand why we're freaking out about flashbacks with the context of what you said. It's fine. Which is why I was almost loath to even bring it up because I don't have enough context for what it is to make that comment. But that was my first impression of, wow, we're really jerking off to flashbacks today. Huh? Yeah, what I'd say is like, do you know how Bioshock kind of very smartly and I think the best games moving forward have realized this and kept it? Um, You know how Bioshock was like, well, we're going to give you lore, but we're not going to make you stop playing the game to get it. So like when you pick up an audio log, it's going to be brief enough to where it's never going to run too long. But we're going to go ahead and start playing it so that you can just hear it while you continue playing the game. And you can learn about the game without ever having to feel like you're having to go out of your way to figure these things out. Because I will tell you, nothing makes me not... like I don't... I, I love audio logs. Have since Bioshock. Uh, but every time I play a game, and it depends on the game, like Control, I've read a lot of the stuff, but it was kind of like, God, why do I have to read so much? Like I'm having to stop playing the game to read, and I would rather God play the millennium. game while still learning something. So this is the same thing here, where it's like, I'd rather not have to wait till the cutscene's over, go to the codices and figure out where it's at, uh, and then figure out where they subcategorize it when instead the game just goes, okay, yeah, you can hit start and anything that's pertinent to this cutscene is all you're going to see. And you will not see anything else. And you can go and talk to this person who looks at like your relationship to characters and you can explore that in a separate menu. 
But that's a completely separate part of the game that you'd never have to interact with. Same is true of active time lore. But yeah, just pause a cutscene in the future and then just hit your touchpad, if I remember correctly, and you'll just see little bubbles of what things are what. It's really useful, and it's a way to keep the game more or less flowing. Yes, I'm stopping to read something, but they're all brief. It's like bite-sized lore as so you can just get a better understanding of what's happening. So it's, it's just it's footnotes smart. in a book. More you one hundred percent in okay, a, in cool. the best way. Yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> it's just again, the first impression was not not bad. It was fine, but it was like, what the fuck are we talking about? You know? Yeah, I think you'll see it come into more play as you go later in. I think I just like the idea to immediately scratch a curiosity. Like if mm-hmm. a cutscene's going on and you go, What is that? And you can just pause it and find out immediately. Like, that's really a cool feature. You don't have to do it, but it's nice to be able like, I don't exactly know what that is. Pause. Oh, that's what that is. Cool. Unpause. Keep going. It's it's really nice. I don't know. Um, it does feel like a weird feature to, to throw up there, but it's like a quality of life thing. It really changes the way you interact with the game in a way that minimizes how... It's smart considering it's a game that's cutscene heavy because I, I you're already out of the game a yeah. lot, you know. So what you're saying makes sense. It's just I got the first impression after a podcast I had just listened to was saying it was one of the greatest innovations in video games, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes it's, it may be one of those things where you don't really realize the impact until later when you see more games doing it. If it becomes that big of a thing, I guess we'll we'll, we'll have a better feel of it down the line, you know. <laughs> yeah i'm I'm happy with that okay uh well we are going to move in to the community's take um and actually before we do so we have a question that i thought this is a really good time to do it because we're talking about games we're talking about a relatively newer game right now with 16 um and chris even though you are at a weird spot of playing uh older games right now jehudi md one of our longtime listeners and patrons he says are you guys going to talk about your game of the year since we are halfway through the year, or did you already? If not, maybe give something like game of the year, most enjoyable game so far, most anticipated game in the second half of the year, etc. Um, so, where are you currently at? Because I feel like you and I have both played a weird split of this year's games, and I've played most of the ones you've not, and you've played most of the ones I haven't. And so I feel like our lists are going to be maybe a little different. <laughs> I'm trying to look at what I've played from the year. Um, yeah. It's weird because I haven't played a ton from this year. Like you played um, RE4. Yeah, right? I feel like RE4 and Callisto are like the two. Callisto was last year. Okay, then I feel like RE4 might be the one well, that I really I don't know where into. it came in. I don't know if Callisto came into last year's official the game awards or whatever no Uh, but it was like december when it came out so yeah i mean that's the thing right now i mean i've been very vocal i think on the show and especially to you privately when we've discussed game of the year that i don't think game of the year is necessarily the game that came out that year especially in terms of our personal opinions if i was giving a game of the year it would be resident evil 4 i love that game that game was awesome my game of the year is Witcher 3. So uh, <laughs> that's my, uh, what was it? Most enjoyable. Uh, my most anticipated game in the second half is the PS4 version <laughs> of Witcher 4 or Witcher 3. <laughs> like, it's all Witcher right now, but uh, that could change after Final Fantasy, you know. Well, like, you've got Tears of the Kingdom, which you seem to be quite 
taken with when it, when you were first playing it. Did yeah, I certainly off? liked it. And then I played Witcher three, <laughs> and I don't play with the Tears of the Kingdom anymore. Um, I would put Tears of the Kingdom up there, but I still think I would give it to Resident Evil four. I just think that was a great experience. I really enjoyed the little bit of time I spent with Hi Fi Rush. Um, High on Life was dumb. So that wouldn't go anywhere. That was a game I played from this year. Uh, the Vampire Survivors DLC could go on my list. But this yeah. is a weird year because it's, you know, MLB The Show is my most played 2023 game. Is that really weird, though, for you? Let's Not be real for, for me, a second. But, <laughs> you know, it would hey, be bro, weird hey, for me to give a game, if your of, game the of the year. If your game of the year is that, then I mean, I don't know. I'm one of, I, that's that's what it is. It's not a bad thing. That would mean my game of the year for every year is MLB 23 or MLB XX the show. So um, in terms of most anticipated, I feel as though that's a pretty obvious answer for anyone who's been listening to me talk for the last two years. But it's Baldur's Gate. Um, I can't wait for Baldur's Gate. But, sure. you know, we had a very good front half of the year. But I think for me the back half of the year is the one that is the more exciting stuff. Starfield, when I do get to that game, I'm excited for. Uh, Spider-Man, Baldur's Gate. Like, those are really the things I'm looking forward to. And right now, I've been feeling like, okay, I mean, I guess I can just play old stuff. Like, we didn't talk about it, but I'm playing Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. You know, having a great time with that. The Deadpool level is fun as hell. So, (laughs) you know. Well, yeah, like I can throw that out right now, right? And I'm looking at my trophy list just to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Yeah. But of the games that have actually come out this year, the ones that I have beat, Forspoken, Dead Space, soon to be Final Fantasy 16. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's a weird place to be because I thought that this was going to be such an exciting year for me, but like some of the games are just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as compelled to play Resident Evil 4 Remake as I thought I would have been. And yeah. I don't really know why, but then I think, well, I also still haven't played Resident Evil 8, so I don't know where I'm at as a Resident Evil fan. Like it's clearly not drawing me that strongly. Um, and I think about like, don't worry, I thought Forspoken was a fun time. I had a good mm-hmm. time with it. I think Hogwarts Legacy is a good game that I just have not had I the mental capacity to go back to. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's a real weird situation to be in um, because I've not been, I've been playing so much old stuff like you and most of what I really love this year has been things I've either revisited or visited for the first time. Like some of the most fun I've had in the game this year was replaying Tearaway on Vita. Great mm-hmm. time, Adam freaking blast uh but if i want to stay a little bit more to the idea of the question which i know is looking more at you know what came out this year um i mean exciting things that have come out this year is like call of the mountain because of how it you know brings vr to the kind of the next level for uh for me and for a lot of people and of course in a more accessible console environment that's been a big one diablo 4 has clearly been a big one i did beat diablo 4 so that's another one so diablo 4 is one of my games from this year uh diablo 4 is great um i diablo 4 is a hard game to talk about because diablo is at its best when you're in seasons and we're not quite there we're going to talk about that here in a bit um so yeah i'd say like Final Fantasy 16, oh, say, I beat Jedi Survivor. That's also this year. <laughs> I got to play in a minute. But we get to the thing. So talking about Game of the Year, um, 
Final Fantasy 16 is clearly it right now for me. And I, I know that's weird because a lot of people are very not enjoying the game uh, because it's not what they want out of the out of a Final Fantasy game. And that's completely fine. You know, I went into it with different expectations. I don't have a preconceived notion of what I think a Final Fantasy should be. Uh, but some people do, and that's fine. So when I'm playing and I'm thinking about what I love about it, I'm like, yeah, I don't see how any game even remotely comes close to this, maybe other than Dead Space, because Dead Space is an immaculate, perfect game. Like I was talking the other day with uh, one of fellow PlayStation podcast hosts, um, SSJ uh, Davey over on Twitter, and I genuinely can't think of a fault for Dead Space Remake, a single fault. It's it's a perfect game. There's I don't know what else to say, but I've also not played a lot of the biggest hitting games this year. I've not played Tears of the Kingdom. I've not played Resident Evil 4 Remake. Um, I've played Hogwarts Legacy, but I didn't beat it. So you look at that, and it gets a little weirder to figure out. So right now, Final Fantasy 16 is one of them. All that to say, I think there's that feeling sometimes that since we're in a podcast that we're supposed to be talking about the newest and the latest and greatest, and we should be up to date on that. Um, I, I guess I consider ourselves a little lucky that our listeners don't seem to really push that to us in any mm-hmm. real capacity. I mean, like we play some of the newer stuff and we talk about it, but I, over time, and I wonder how it will continue to go if this is something that happens with age or interest or whatever. I don't feel that need and I feel even more like I can play a game at my time. Like the fact that I'm still, which is kind of crazy. People on our discord are talking about playing, like getting the platinum according to the PlayStation five for final fantasy 16 and 70 hours. And I think how the fuck I feel like I've been playing this game a hundred hours. Like I have no (laughs) real sense of time. I've talked about that. I've been playing this game for like three and a half weeks and I'm still not even beat it. And, And then someone's platinumed it in 70 hours. I'm like, how many hours have I been playing this? What is happening? Um, but do you find that the older you get, the more you kind of just play whatever you're feeling and you worry a little less about how new it is or FOMO or any of that? Um, no, I think <laughs> we've, we've chronicled it on the show. and We talked about it last week. It's very clear to me that I need to just play what I want to play in the moment. Time and place, yeah. Because no, nobody. I don't like coming on here and shitting on Horizon because I didn't enjoy it, and when I wasn't in the mood, but I felt like I needed to play it. But you know, now I'm in the mood for Witcher Three, and we just had we had a 30 minute conversation about it because of how much I loved it this time. But I forced myself to play it multiple times before this and didn't like it at all. Stuff that I told you right now was incredible i didn't like the only part of witcher i've ever liked until this this run was the bloody baron quest because that's just undeniably phenomenal but yeah you know even i was even hesitant to start final fantasy 16 last night because i was like i don't really want to play it and i don't want to come on the show and be like i didn't enjoy it but I had nothing else to play. So I turned it on and I liked what I saw, you know, luckily or not luckily, it was just literally just a movie in the the trainings. So who knows what that says, but I've learned like if, if there's anyone in the audience who doesn't like that, I apologize that we don't stay up on games, but I think in the end, like this is a podcast about two dudes who like video games, right? That's what the podcast is. It's not, 
you know, and we talk about it from a PlayStation slant and we talk about the news, but you know, we didn't get Final Fantasy four weeks ago when IGN did. You know, we didn't True. get these games early. We are playing video games at the same time as you. And luckily, Brett and I have advantages that a lot of people don't where we buy games and we both get to play them. But, you know, more often than not, I don't necessarily want to buy a video game. You know, I didn't want to buy Dead Island 2. Didn't play it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's that kind of stuff. Um, I just don't. I, I think maybe it's an age thing or maybe it's just realizing that I've looked like an asshole multiple times on this show because I said I didn't like a game at the time and then came back 57 episodes later and be like, this is the greatest game I've ever played. You know, <laughs> I'm not interested anymore in being like, yeah, I have to play. I have to play Horizon because it came out last week. And then we have a whole falling, you know, whole issue in Discord. People are like, oh, you're an Xbox fanboy because you fucking hate Horizon. I'm like, no, this game just kind of sucks right now. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm not having fun. You know, when I end up going back to Horizon, I might have fun. But I think we've gotten past the point as me, as someone who's on the show with you, of forcing myself to play things that are new because they're new. Yeah, I was excited for Resident Evil 4, so I played that at launch. I was excited for Callisto Protocol, so I played that at launch. But honestly, I wasn't that excited for Final Fantasy 16. Final Fantasy 16 was more of those like where I talk about uh, video games as a sports team, where I'm like, I'm hyped my team's got this game. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, I, I, like as a Boston sports fan, I don't give a fuck what happens about with the Celtics. But if the Celtics win the ship, you know I'm going to be there in Boston. Like, yeah, go Celtics! Woo, Paul Pierce. <laughs> it's the same fucking thing, you know. I want to yeah. play Shattered Dimensions in Witcher Three. That's what I'm going to play. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's how I feel. That's exactly how I feel, considering the fact that I spent three months being a host of a PlayStation podcast playing. I mean, I played Vita the entire time, so that's cool. <laughs> I mean that's a pretty good setup. Yeah, um, I appreciate the but, leeway we we seem to have gotten because I know there's people on Discord who are like, "I'm glad you guys talk about old games." You know, yeah, yeah, um, we've heard that a lot actually. If we do um, get to which a is point, interesting, if we do get to a point where like publishers are sending us early games, like yeah, maybe we start doing that stuff because at that point it's probably monetarily relevant for us to do that. But right now, it really, I don't think it is, you know? So what's the... I don't know. I mean, because you, you touched on something, and I don't want to spend forever on this. I want to get going with the rest of the episode. But I'm kind of almost wondering if what we're talking about is part of why gaming media is the way that it is. Is it because it's a bunch of people who make gaming their livelihood, and as such, they feel the pressure because it is their literal job to play games, even when they may not actually feel like playing them and report on them and talk about their thoughts on them. How easy is it for them to separate their objective opinion from their subjective, not wanting to play a game they're being forced to play? How does that change your perception? And it's all of that. Why we have a gaming media that a lot of people feel like is disconnected from actual gamers. And I think about like, like, I don't know that we'll ever get there, right? Like, I'll, I think I've always been that I play what I want to play when I want to play it. Mm-hmm. But I think used to, I had my own personal feeling. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to play that when it's fresh and new and I want to be part of the conversation. And I have a kid that's older now and I have other responsibilities. Excuse me. I have other responsibilities and it's definitely part of it. But I would say part of it is just that I also am like, yeah, I just don't want to play that right now. Like, I just, I, I'm, I'm playing this and I'm enjoying it. Like, 
I think in the past, if I was replaying Spider-Man on Vita, whenever, you know, Resident Evil 4 came out, remake came out, I'd be like, oh shit, yeah, I've already played Spider-Man. I'm just going to put it down and play the new game. And now I'm like, now I'm having a good time with Spider-Man. I'm just going to keep playing yeah. Spider-Man. It's, it's as simple as that. You know, I almost wonder if maybe because we do a podcast and we do have people who listen and talk with us where we don't have FOMO as bad as some people because uh, this might sound a little self-centered, but I think it's the right, what I'm trying to say is because in a lot of ways, especially in our discord, we lead the conversation where if I'm, if, if we were both playing shattered dimensions and the, the discord would probably end up talking about shattered dimensions. Cause that's what we're talking about. Right. So we almost, degree, yeah. we almost don't have that FOMO in the same way because it's not a bunch of people in our discord talking about, you know, the new game. Which is it's a bad time for that because we have a separate Final Fantasy 16 channel in that Discord. <laughs> but I think the vast majority of the time, right? If neither of us played Resident Evil, there would obviously be some conversations about it, but there wouldn't be 30 minute conversations about The Witcher. Which, you know, me talking about The Witcher brought an entire day of people talking about their endings and what they did in The Witcher and how they felt about The Witcher. So. For some people, we created FOMO of a, of an eight year old video game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're right. And yeah. I think that's an advantage we have where FOMO doesn't necessarily hit us as hard. Sure, because we get to direct that conversation. I think you and I are also both fairly divorced from social media outside of the social media work we do for the show. Like, you, I think you're a little more tapped into social media than I am. But like, I don't have a TikTok. I don't have an Instagram. I don't have a Threads. I don't have. I have a Twitter. You have a. And I don't, I don't even use my real Twitter. I use the. I use the podcast one yeah. like it's mine. I so I use. I have a Twitter, and I have a Discord, and I have a Facebook because everybody does. But I don't really use Facebook a lot. So mm-hmm. it's like, I am disconnected from modern social media. Most people are like, you don't have a Snapchat. You don't have like, and I, I have a Snapchat from when it first started, and I thought maybe, and then I was like, no, I'm not going to use this. I don't care. But past that, it's like I don't have any. I haven't even made a, an account for any of the other ones because why would I? I don't care. I don't want to be part of that conversation. I yeah. I have a Reddit, and I hardly ever even use Reddit. You know, it's like I I would prefer to come into the conversations that I want to. And I think we're lucky enough to have a, a audience around the show where if I want to have a gaming conversation, we have a group of people I can do that with without having yeah. to feel like I'm slave to what the. Uh, current social topic is now sometimes i dip my toe in sometimes i'll go on twitter and have a day where i respond to a bunch of stuff or reply or post something but yeah i I do that on my time i I choose that and that's the thing there's there's i'm sure there's stuff that you know people are like oh they haven't talked about activision blizzard this whole time i'm done listening but i think that i like that you gave me the leeway to be like i write the news i'm not putting this shit in anymore and it was fine we we were good even this week I refuse to spend more than 30 seconds on the topic. <laughs> I love the way you wrote it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, look, let's, let's go ahead let's and let, let's go ahead and get into this community's take here. This community's take. Thank you to the audience, by the way. If you'd Thank like you to join audience. that audience, how can you do that? You can do that by heading over to Twitter. If the, if you're still you know of the Twitter mindset, uh, <laughs> I mean this with love in my heart, but I crackle up a lot. Crackle, yes, that's what I chose to use. <laughs> <laughs> what? But no, no, I, I cackle. That's what I meant to say. I cackle to myself 
when I see people on Twitter that are like, I've made this Blue Sky account and this account and this account, and then they just still keep going. And I get it. I know why they're doing it because that's where the, an audience is at and people they like to talk to. But there's nothing more funny than watching someone be like, I'm done with Twitter. Here's my new account. I'll see you there. And then like two hours later, what's everybody up to today? <laughs> I don't know. I find that so funny because I'm like, oh, dude, people want to hate Twitter so much, but they don't know how to leave it. That's you super can't. funny to me. I've just, I don't engage that much anymore. There's some people put stuff on there where I'm like, I would never tweet this way. So if this is what I got to do to get engagement, I'm good. I'm just going to talk <laughs> shit about people who make bad Red Sox takes and move on. But if you want to join what we do talk about on Twitter and when we do post updates about the show and whatnot, or when we ask you to be part of the community stake, where we take a something that we talked about from the last episode or a question that came from one of our listeners, and we throw it out there for all of the community to respond to so that we can get different you know, thought processes. We can get pushed back on maybe if someone disagrees with the way that we viewed something. Sometimes open our eyes to new ways of viewing Push something. So we appreciate me. that. Uh, you can do that over on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us in the Facebook group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Or my favorite way, if I'm to be partial, is to hit the description, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services, and smack that link for Discord. Jump in, talk to us. That's more of our day-to-day. We talk to a lot of people there. That is my ideal way of doing communication, though Twitter's not bad. I do like Twitter as well. So uh, with all that in mind, this week's Community Take comes uh, from one of our patrons, RudeDays93, who, because he loves us so much, went over to patreon.com slash nartech and considered giving us not only $1, but more. No, I think he's actually at a dollar, but a dollar per month, which is a huge help to the show. So thanks, thanks RudeDays. He says, with PlayStation making a separate mobile division and buying studios that operate in the mobile space, can you see yourself becoming a mobile gamer for that output? Uh, If so, what would you like to see from it? Certain games or more feature side, like trophy support and PSN integration? And now I should say, he didn't say that. That's the paraphrase of the conversation as it unfolded last week. But it's the spirit of what he asked. Um, So with that in mind, Chris, I'm going to knock a few of these out. As always, we can't get to all answers. We always give our patrons um, preferred reading. But if we have interesting answers from people who are non-patrons, we still like to throw them in. Uh, So one, the first one, uh, that comes from John Davis. Also, you may know him as Stingray X, a former patron. He says, I can see myself going into the mobile outlet more. Maybe if they brought back PS All-Stars, but with a free-to-play model and pass system. Is there is Brawlhalla on phones? I have no is idea. Is there a is there a Smash like game in the mobile market? Probably. Is it good? Another question. I don't know. Brawlhalla was pretty fun. I mean, it's just I don't. I'm not a diehard of that style of game. Isn't that Valkyrie? <laughs> right? Um, no, they did Guns Up. Never mind. Yeah, I can't remember who the developer. I, I think Ubisoft bought whoever it was that made. Um, Brawlhalla. Uh, but yeah, that's an interesting one. Jehudi MD, one of our patrons, says, Nope, for me, mobile gaming has never grabbed my attention long enough. I think the issue lies in that I use my smartphone for so many work or non-work related things, and the constant interruption to quit the app, to reply to a message, or to check something else is a bit 
a big deterrent. Plus, all games on mobile that are free tend to have uh, tend to reach a point where spending is a must. I don't mind spending money on a good game, but I wish these games give you a buy it option and not have to deal with constant reminders of this currency or that. And even if PlayStation offers these games as part of PS Plus or something, it's just that the quality of mobile has yet to capture me. So many developers have tried, and it just doesn't click with me for some reason. Um, that one's an interesting one. I've also wondered that, and I think about that even on you know free to play games on the console. I'm like, it'd be cool to just have a buy it, you're done. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is you have to design two different games because when you design a game around a currency, you design everything to where that currency plays a big part and then that currency is being you're being motivated to try and look at maybe buying that currency even though you don't have to if you buy it that means suddenly they have to have an entirely different build of the game that that currency is is earned in a different way it plays a different role in the game's economy and what you do within it a game like clash of clans which is a very fun concept right it's 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 world of warcraft and all those types of oh, not world of warcraft sorry it's warcraft and games like that but the whole game is built around a time system and where you buy you buy stuff to cut down on the amount of time that it takes for these things to happen and so it's a weird question. It's a big ask for these developers, but it is an interesting idea and one that maybe somebody like PlayStation might have more reason to think about doing just so that you can have your cake and eat it too, in a sense. Um, but that's an interesting one. couple more. we got two more I'm going to knock out. Then Chris and I can kind of give our thoughts on any of the ones that we think stand out. Rude Cold, one of our longtime listeners, longtime patrons. Man, hope you and your family are doing well. He says, I play on enough consoles and have too many games to play as it is to even think about including mobile games in the mix. Final Fantasy Ever Crisis may tempt me, though, as I tend to play anything Final Fantasy related, but I may just wait and I hope it comes to either Switch or PlayStation at some point, which something to think about here, Rude. Pocket Edition did come to consoles eventually. (laughs) So... That's something to note. Um, last one here. This is the answer from the man who asked the question himself. Rude Days 93. He says, might be an outlier here, but I could definitely find myself being involved in PS Mobile games. It would be more so if I could earn reward points instead of trophies. Right now, I play one mobile game of Microsoft's Bejeweled to just earn free reward points. Anyway, to save money, to be involved in a part of an ecosystem is always an interest to me. Also, if there was, say, ways where you could grind in a mobile game for your main game, looking at something like Destiny, that would also also interest me. That was an interesting proposal. I don't know how many people care enough about games like Destiny and whatnot to want to grind out on the side, but it's an interesting idea. But then they go into the question of does the game need to be good for people who are all who are not necessarily trying to use it to grind for Destiny, but it also has a connection to Destiny? Hmm. Like Chris, mm. you were a big Apex fan for a while, right? I am. Was. If there was like a weird Apex side game that you could play that was good on its own. But you also had this secondary motivation of like whatever you do in this this week maybe moves towards your seasonal rating or whatever it be uh, in the main game. Would that be a draw to you? Um, my initial thought would have been yes, but I didn't play a single minute of Apex Mobile, so probably no. Did it have 
the secondary parts of what I was talking about. No, where but it, it was did still play Apex. Anything. Yeah. No. I mean, I didn't. I only play one mobile game, and it's Marvel Snap. Um, like, that's a very specific... <laughs> One thing that's mentioned a lot here is this idea of, mm, let me think about the way to say this. We talked about it a little bit a couple weeks back, but this idea of console quality on the go. Because I feel like a lot of the games that actually make me go, maybe I'd play a phone game is when they're like, we've ported Stranger's Wrath to phone. And I'm like, ah, yeah, but I could also just play that on my Vita or PS4 or Switch or whatever with a controller <laughs> and it's like why would i use my phone for that at that point yeah. and if i'm having to put a controller on my phone then what's the benefit at that point why would i not just play it on something that's dedicated for that because i think the thing i always think about with phones is the moment i have to try and treat my phone like something it really isn't the magic's gone Wow, mm-hmm. it's like if I have to use a controller or if a controller makes it actually workable and playable it's gone now i used to be a big fan of uh emulating Pokemon games on the go because yeah. Pokemon is the perfect touchscreen button game. Is it not? Yeah. See? So, but here's the but thing. I feel like most of that market doesn't want that. Most of that market does not want console games on, on mobile. All you're trying to do is move people from a market they're already enthralled in. Yeah. There's no reason. I mean, it depends on the, it, it just depends on the game. Like Slay the Spire. I would play on my phone through either remote play or the mobile app because there's a mobile game version and that was really fun but that's the type of game i mean i've had great times streaming games like i used to stream slay the spire at my old job because my boss and i both played it so we would be cooking burgers and i would be like all right these are my cards what should i take and he'd be like he'd give me a card and be like okay and we would play runs of slay the spire that way but I it, that's a specific type of game. I'm not, you know, grinding Destiny Nightfalls on my phone on the bus. Like that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't think it'd be that. I think he. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. I'm also not that big. Which you know, everybody is in a different spot. And instead of doing something where I have to do something extra to earn reward points, I'm a big fan, and this is not available everywhere, so I get it. But that's why I have that PlayStation card. I just buy everything I would usually buy on the card, pay the card off at the end of the month, and I get reward points for something I was going to do anyway. That's kind of my version. The moment mm-hmm. that people are like, yeah, but if you bing search something every day and play a round of Bejeweled and turn your Xbox on and play 10 minutes of this game or this game, then you get these reward points. I'm like, I'm glad that you have that as an option, and I'm glad that funds everything that you want for it. But, bro, that is – I guess that's where I can consider myself lucky. Like, I have the means to pay for all this without having to waste my time, and my time is way more valuable <laughs> than my money in that particular situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I'd rather just – pay the damn $10 for Game Pass a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then find a way to spend an hour across, you know, a month. And that may not seem like a lot, but it's like an hour across a month to get, you know, Game Pass for free or whatever. I don't know. It's kind of a weird idea. Um, this is kind of what I expected, that the vast majority of people are no, because as we've kind of talked about, we have a very console core gamer identity audience because that's what that's the people who tend to listen to gaming podcasts i don't think that people who play mobile as their primary or even maybe their largely secondary point is really listening to gaming podcasts i I could be wrong and i would love to be wrong it's just i feel like that's kind of what the the numbers show even if you go on like we're not a big podcast 
But if you, even if you look at some of the big ones, I think that that more or less tracks out. The vast majority of the audiences are not deeply embedded in the phone games. Yeah. It's a specific market, and we're not it. Doesn't mean it's we true. can't be because we play every, anything we can. That's good. But Yeah. Like I said, I play Royal Match all the time. Great game. Hell yeah. Marvel Snap, yeah. game of the year, two years in a row. all right chris well before we jump into the news i want to remind everybody that if you're listening to this show on a podcast service that allows you to rate and or review the show please consider doing so let's us know what you like about the show if you can do a review and if nothing else it lets other people know whether or not you think the show is worth their time which may bring some new voices new ears into the podcast and that's always a fun thought so first piece of news coming up it seems that two of our favorite heroes of the seven and for some unknown reason a traitor will be asking the age old question where are we dropping boys starlight black noir and homelander were all confirmed by vought to be landing in modern warfare 2 during the mid-season update a VOT spokesperson announced that the character bundles would go live on July 12th for 2,400 COD points. You get them from fishing in the game. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I am not going to say the rest of this because Chris and I discussed it. It is a spoiler for the season uh, three of uh, The Boys. So I will skip that part to tell you that a former Vought social media intern accidentally confirmed on TikTok that Homelander would be entering Earthrealm later this year when the year one pass for Mortal Kombat 1 launches. Of course, we've heard this rumor for quite some time. So this seemingly could would also confirm the leak that Omni-Man from another Amazon series, Invincible, would also be coming to the game, which are both mm-hmm. sensible. Um, or at least I can kind of see that. This is an um, interesting move. I wonder if there will ever be a, ever be a time where everything is just not so cross media, and it's. I don't think that that time will ever exist again. No, and the <laughs> thing is, like, in a lot of ways, why would it stop? Right? Like, what's the harm in Starlight being in Call of Duty? Or yeah, there's not a harm. Like, you know, I'm not interested in it. It's just free like, advertising and for WB. Yeah, but for people who, who are into it, cool, I guess. I mean, like, yeah. I got my Goku bag, skin in cool. Fortnite. It's dope. Like, it's sick. I like it. Yeah. So interesting, interesting choice. Um, I always love the way that Amazon uh, handles marketing for anything related to the boys. Cause I love that there's a fake Twitter for mod. They go through everything. We've talked about this on the show before, mm-hmm. but I just think that's such a clever, interesting, fun way yeah. to try and create a sense of reality in a world that's so absurd. Like it's, it's so obviously not real, but kind of toying around with it in our world is an interesting idea. Well, it's they, fun. It's almost like an ARG. <laughs> they do it so well that it comes off real, which is why I'm disappointed that there is a spoiler in here because I thought I went pretty goddamn hard on this piece of news. You and did. I'm like, God you damn did it, we great. can't read it. <laughs> you cannot read it. Uh, that's okay. If anybody finds a way to get into this thing uh, and sees the leak, that's on you. Shouldn't have been hacking us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Mortal Kombat 1, NetherRealm confirmed that Smoke and Rain would be joining the roster, which is mm, two great characters. Smoke is one of my all-time favorites. Ermac Smoke. is also... Ermac is... Ooh! Dude, I'm, I, the other day, and I've told you this, I have almost no interest in Mortal Kombat 1 because in my mind, I'm like, I like Mortal Kombat. 
I could just play Mortal Kombat nine again which is an incredible game and i'm like yeah i I already have access to that i could play it on my vita if i wanted i could play it on ps3 if i wanted and it's one of those weird runs at 60 frames per second on vita games even without being overclocked or anything yeah i was a big uh noob cybot guy that's my boy yeah i beat that game on ps3 but then i beat it again on vita and i was like the fact that i was able to beat a fighting game on vita where it's running 60 frames per second on a smaller controls it, it, it was a good proof of concept. I also beat Injustice on PS3 and on Vita. Also ran the 60 frames per second. Nice. Good times. Great games. Good times. Great games. Another realm soon to be so I'm a little Studios sad that great. we don't have uh, another Injustice game. We will. I really was kind of hoping they would hit that cadence of one Mortal Kombat, one not Mortal Kombat uh-huh. game. Like it are didn't you, have to be Injustice, but you know. Are you saying it's an Injustice that we don't have another Injustice game? That is, you're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Next piece of news Fire Sprite, a recent Sony acquisition, has shown off its new and expansive offices. The team has expanded to about 250 already with room to grow. The group said while talking about the office, quote, the move to our new studio space is a significant step forward for Fire Sprite in helping us fulfill our vision of becoming a creative powerhouse within the PlayStation Studios family, end quote. The team has been reportedly working on six games in total, with four of them being confirmed. Those four being Horizon Call of the Mountain, as we now know, a UE5, so Unreal Engine 5, AAA games-as-a-service shooter, a AAA horror game in collaboration with Fabric Games, and an unannounced AAA action game. These are all confirmed through LinkedIn posts of people working with or at the studio besides Call of the Mountain, which of course launched with PSVR 2. Alongside those are a couple of rumored titles, those being Wipeout VR and Twisted Metal, as we've long heard uh, kind of circulating around. One of the things I think comes from this and the first thing I want to note is uh, game development and game acquisition is in a really weird spot where used to I feel like you would look at it and go they're going to be a single game developer and they're going to be working on one thing. But if you notice there's a lot of collaboration here. There's a lot of various sized games, a lot of various things. And it's almost like Sony bought them more for what they can do in a supplemental place rather than worrying about okay we're going to buy a fire sprite and make them the next gorilla they don't like sony's not looking to acquire the next studio that's going to take five years to make every game they make i think that they're very happy to acquire a studio that can almost be like sumo digital where they're always working on something and they almost have something that they've worked on release every year every other year mm-hmm. i would think Which so is a, i mean that makes more sense as to I wonder if having a studio that's like, we're not the main developer, but we push your games past the finish line kind of guys, or we can see the idea through kind of guys. Maybe that's a, there's a spot pocket for that. Yeah. And you wonder, right? Something we'll probably never know the answer to is that if they are working on the twisted metal game, that was rumored to originally be, uh, be lucid. Was it lucid? Yeah. The people behind, um, the All-Stars. What the hell was Destruction that? Destruction All-Stars. Destruction All-Stars. Um, I think the interesting thing there is like, we'll probably never know if that game comes out how much new work or if they had to rebuild from the ground up that Twisted Metal game or if it's exactly kind of what you're talking about. 
Lucid wasn't going to get it across the finish line the way it needed to be, but they were able to move that game over to Fire Sprite and Fire Sprite were able to pick it up and then kind of smooth the edges and make a better final product that they'll be able to get out in a timely manner. Um, so it's one of those, I, I don't know, Fire Sprite's a, re- a really weird acquisition, not in a bad way. It's just uh, I don't think that their acquisition is going to be as obvious to people in terms of its value. I think it's going to be something where they're kind of a behind the scenes name that people don't know as much. And maybe one day they'll break out and become a, a Oh, like that's uh that's sucker punch. We know what sucker punch do, but you know, mm-hmm. sucker punch for a long time, um, lived in the shadow of their games. And I think, uh, their last couple of games, but definitely ghost of Tsushima in particular kind of catapulted them up to where people know sucker punch as a name. You know, what's crazy is and maybe this might just be dumb speculation, but, Fire Sprite seems like it's being built to be what Insomniac is for the PS6. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, get, I see what you mean, where they have a game out once every two years without mm-hmm. fail, pretty much. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if, like, okay, listen, here's our first-person games-as-a-service game. It's coming out at the end of the PS5 lifecycle. And then PS6, we've got Blade, and we've got, I don't know, uh, Scream, the video game, Stab, <laughs> uh, you know, and then all this kind of stuff. These are all launch titles for PS6 because Naughty Dog's Last of Us Part 3 is taking 17 years. You know what I mean? So I think that's very possible that t- to look at how Insomniac is run and how they do their business. Be like, we need a second studio to do that to supplement Naughty Dog and Sucker Punch and Gorilla all taking five plus years with their games. It's kind of exactly but what I was talking about. that particular quality? Or at least close enough to where, you know, yeah. the output uh, and the consistency and the quality are all high enough that you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we talked about how the only thing we've really, you know, known from them is the persistence. And I, it's a game I haven't even played. I didn't like um, it. But I remember you saying you didn't like it. Uh, they technically did the playroom as well, but that was like the included PS4 demo with the Astrobot stuff worked into it. Um, so it's kind of hard to throw that in and, and it have any real meaning. Um, but you know what I would have thought? And I remember how surprised I was when it happened that um, they did not buy... Um, I just said their name and now I'm, I'm off of it. What was the developer for Sackboy? Sumo digital. Sumo, yeah. Um, I'm surprised Sony didn't go after Sumo. Like that ended up being acquired by old, uh, Chinese company. If I can, rec- if I recall correctly. Um, Netties, yeah. So that's weird. Cause Sumo, I think is a really good example of like a, not maybe the quant, the quality that on Insomniac's becoming very synonymous with, uh, but Sumo are really good at pumping out, well-made games in a really pe- fast pace. Like they made Little Big Planet Three. Of course, they made um, Sackboy: A Big Adventure. They've worked on a bunch of things for Sony, and of course, they've also worked on things that weren't necessarily beloved. Like um, they were, of course, and it's different teams within Sumo, but they were one of the uh, one of their teams was a developer behind Crackdown Three, which took a long time. But they make a lot of games that are more or less like they made team sonic racing great really good game uh i think they made that recent hood outlaws and legends i don't actually know how good that was it was mediocre i played it 
All things saying that I view them as a more tried and true and understood value, but maybe it was more expensive to buy Sumo than it is to create, to buy Fire Sprite and create that within that. So they're an interesting one nonetheless. Um, There's a question that comes from uh, Rude Days 93 that I think is kind of fitting right here. He says, how are you feeling about the PSVR 2 right now? The future of it as well. And he says he's mainly asking just because I've seen some negative comments online about PlayStation's support of it. So curious if this is a fanboy war or legitimate concerns. Now, I think we have two very different perspectives here because I'm someone who owns one and you're someone who doesn't. But is perspective to potentially maybe buy one if the right shove is kind of given to you. So what are your kind of initial feelings on what you're seeing about PSVR 2 right now? And then how does that translate into what you think about the future of it from what you're currently seeing? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, from what I understand, it's selling better than expected. So that's good. Um, I don't know. I have trouble believing that Sony is really going to invest as much as they need to to make it a big thing. But for me, VR has always been about the novelty. Like, it is cool to hop and put the headset on and play Beat Saber. I had a lot of fun playing Walking Dead Saints and Sinners. But, you know, and Job Simulator, um, Blood and Truth, stuff that I did try. But for the vast majority of those games, it was, this was cool. And then I tried something else. And I was like, this was cool. And then I tried something else. I was like, this was cool. And then I never touched it again. So um, VR, VR, they have to prove it with VR. And I just don't, I don't see Sony as the people who are going to want to invest in proving it. Which does beg the question of why even spend that much time developing this then? Like, you know, like I can understand why you spent time developing the first one and trying it out. But that means you've had your trial run to see what you think the market is capable of and how much you're willing to invest into that market. So why would you follow it up? And I mean, I'm glad they did. But if you're if you're not going to support it, and that really is a true concern right now, uh, I, I'm not saying for me, but like if that is the case, right? If it's something that you're looking at as someone you're thinking that's a concern, or if even PlayStation's looking at how long will we want to support this? Why did you even bother developing it? Like. You know, you almost have to take that Marvel Studios approach of putting yourself in, you know, spending a lot of money to take a bet on yourself. Otherwise, why are you really worrying about it? And I guess Sony has the the capacity to do that. Clearly, they did it with Vita, and it's not like they were happy about Vita's performance, but it didn't kill them. It didn't even remotely kill them. So, uh, to answer the question from my side, as someone who owns it, I will admit that I am a little disappointed with how often I am driven myself to play it. Uh, I have not played it since the last time I played with Stingray X, which has been about a month, uh, and playing Pavlov. There is a game that just recently came out, bad timing, because of stuff I have going on, like going to see Blink-182 and being out of town. That's why I'm also not as far into Final Fantasy sixteen. Uh Came off vacation as well. So there's just a lot going on. I'm having to catch up. It's summertime. I do a lot of yard work. Owning a house comes with a lot of responsibility. That's unfortunate. Um, so 
I want to play that. Like I want to play it and um, Synapse looks awesome. And I think that is one of the big Mm. games for it. But I'll tell you that as someone who's looking at Sony's support of it, and we don't know how much Sony courted Synapse to come um, or if that was always going to happen. That's a weird thing because support doesn't have to come directly from Sony um, so much as it has to be Sony going out of their way to bring things to the game uh, or to their hardware. But the part of me that also wants Sony to support it directly, like we had Horizon uh, Call the Mountain, which was a really good time. And I had a great time platinuming it and had a good time with it. And a part of me is like, I'm disappointed that I don't know the next one of those yet. I feel like by now I should. I should know the next. This is a first party game. Whether or not it's from a you know an IP that you already know doesn't really matter to me. I want to see Sony doing that and I'm not seeing it. But what I am still seeing is a lot of great games coming to it. Um, but like you said, Chris, there's a, there's a novelty aspect which is definitely there. And I do think this pushes way past the novelty aspect of PSVR 1. And it pushes way past the playability aspect of PSVR 1 in terms of long-term comfort and just fine control and, and general tracking and whatnot. But... I wouldn't say I'm disappointing in, disappointed in the headset or even the games. I'm disappointed in my own lack of drive to get past the... And it's not even hard. It's plugged in. It's got to turn it on and play it. But I've not been in that headspace. Um, and we've already talked about how I'll play one game at a time. Final Fantasy 16 has been my game. Like, right? Synapse, hopefully, is what I'll play after 16. And maybe that'll be my game for a while. And then I can kind of come back to this question with maybe a better answer. But I'm not personally worried about it. But I'm also not, uh, I'm not headstrong on that. It's going to be great either. I'm in, uh, I'm in a holding pattern with PlayStation right now. I think they're doing enough to where I don't think that they're abandoning it, abandoning it. But I'm also not seeing them um, stall, stalwartly going out and being like, "Yes, this is our hardware. This is what we're doing. This is how we're supporting it." Um, and that's a little disappointing with all the acquisitions that are going on you think one of those acquisitions would have been in a move to bolster your psvr2 ability and output all right hear me out brett hear me out so now that we'll get to this but microsoft has bought activision which i think means sony is going to be on the offensive so they decide to make a big play in vr and buy meta how do you feel I don't even know if that's feasible. It's not. It's a trillion dollar company, but ah, it's almost interesting though because I'm going to throw it out there. If it wouldn't have been, this is the only thing about it. If it wouldn't have been for Facebook rebranding their parent company as Meta to where everything is Meta, and the fact that, of course, they, they've just announced their own headset. But Facebook, or Meta at this point, has talked a lot about how VR is not hitting the numbers they want. And like, yeah, they're going ahead and pushing forward with Oculus Quest 3. But that's also because they were already doing it and they'd stand to lose even more money if they just didn't push something out. But it wouldn't vastly surprise me if at some point throughout last year when you heard about all the uncertainty about VR and its potential and Meta's potential from uh, Meta as a company, it would have surprised me if at one point you heard Sony just bought out Meta as far as its VR component. And they bought out all the studios 
and the irony that at that point that Sony would own Ready at Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> the um, order eighteen eighty nine is coming, and it's VR two exclusive. Hear me out. Oh God, no! Oh no, no! Hear me out. I mean, do you not think? I, I mean this. Do you not think a The Order sequel or even a The Order style game is not a better fit for what people expect from VR? Would not be a bigger hit from what people expect from VR than what it was in context to non VR games at the time that it came out? If you think about a game like that, people would be kind of over the moon to have a 10 hour, very high production value quality VR game. I don't think that that's that bad of a thing. We know they can make that type of game, and we know they have ex- they have experience with VR. That's kind of what I want from Sony. I do want Sony's next Call of the Mountain. Call of the Mountain is not a super long game. It's like 10 to 12 hours, but it's fun, and it has a story and fun gameplay, and the, it's not to the level of what I think a Ready at Dawn one could be, but who does Sony have within their repertoire right now that they'd be willing to let do that? I don't see a, an actual already option. If Sony were to acquire someone like Ready at Dawn, that's someone who's made a quality game like that before and they could push out. And I think that'd be interesting. But uh, it would be interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I think half of it is on VR as a whole. We've got to see how much Oculus is going to support from their internal development teams, their own Oculus Quest 3 or Meta. I know I keep calling it Oculus. I hate that they renamed everything Meta. It's stupid. It's hard to keep up with. Uh, But yeah, the Meta Quest 3. We don't even know how they're supporting it right now. You know, Facebook is completely doubting everything about Meta. Yeah, the Metaverse has them vexed. It's not where they thought it was going to be. So Fucking of course not. Uh, quickly jumping in, we have uh, Diablo 4 having their first season coming, and that is going to be launching on July 20th, which is the season of the malignant. Uh, so this is set after the events of Core Diablo 4 campaign, uh, where a new corruption starts to spread through the creatures of the world from beast to human to demon. So this is unlike previous ones that we've seen where, um, I would say that seasons in Diablo three were more gameplay driven. Um, this one actually does have a seasonal story that we're going to be following. So it's not just going to be um, story from expansions. Instead, you have the season one story, seeing you join forces with a new character, Cormand, a former priest from the Cathedral of Light who finds himself drawn into a new conflict following the conclusion of your fight with Lilith. So that is a bit of a change for how that's going to go. And it's going to set the tone for what to expect from seasons moving forward from Diablo. I think it's interesting, but I want to talk more about it once it actually comes out. So I'll be happy to play that and kind of finally have Diablo with seasons so I can give a a more complete feeling of how um, Diablo 4 stacks up against Diablo 3. So... Moving on to the next piece of news, EA has revealed a new studio in Cliffhanger Games to develop its single-player Black Panther game. This is not the same game that is in development at Skybound, which is led by Amy Hennig. Instead, this game is being run by Kevin Stevens, who has worked on Halo and Shadow of Mordor. This studio is aiming to create an authentic experience for players, but nothing else is known of the game at this time. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the big difference here is that Cliffhanger is making a specifically Black Panther game where he's the focus, whereas Amy Hennig's is rumored to have 
Black Panther, as we talked about with Luke whenever he was a guest, um, as part of an ensemble cast. Yeah, it's him, Captain America, and I think the Hell Commandos or whatever the hell his little group of boyfriends are called. I don't remember. <laughs> We're Bucky. <laughs> Bucky is in it. And yeah. Uh, Neil McDonough, I think is his name. <laughs> he was in that movie. Uh, I was telling someone that I'm not inherently a Black Panther fan. I've never really experienced the comics. I've not watched the movie. Like I know about its, um, I guess cultural would be the word impact on uh, on movies and how people look at uh, rushing out movies with poor CGI. Like I've seen the fight scene at the end of the movie, which looks so god awful CGI wise. It looks god awful. I have no context for what's happening in the film, so that's no judgment on the film. Strictly what the CGI looks like. Um, so this is not a big deal for me as so much as like the excitement of what it could be is there. Um, but man, it's like no matter where you look, you can't take a breath without a, a new superhero thing going around. And that's a little, for me personally, it's what Blake was saying. And I kind of agree. It's like, I'm not really upset about this. It's just that this and the million other superhero and licensed games that are happening, it just... Gaming has always been smothered by licensed games. But we were really in a good heyday there for a while where the biggest and most excited game, exciting games were seldom licensed. And now we're at a time where I feel like all of the biggest and most hyped games that a lot of people are talking about coming up are like more Star Wars games and more Marvel games. And it's like an Indiana Jones game and all this. And it's like, ah, I don't want licensed games to start ruling the roost. Yeah. I, I'm of two minds because I see your point and I don't care. That's fine. Yeah. I, mean, like, I, I don't, as long as they're all good games, it ultimately doesn't matter. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. What will, will make them. That's the thing, in, right? Impact. Like, yeah, inherently, like, oh, it's another Marvel hero game, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. That sucks, but, like, what if it's good? Then who cares? Because here's the thing, like, superheroes are popular because superheroes are fun. Sure. Right? Spider-Man <laughs> is inherently <laughs> What I actually said fun. to Blake, what I said to Blake was, as much as I agree that I do feel like we're just getting superheroed out everywhere, if I had to choose the one place they make the most sense to be in is in gaming, in my opinion. Yeah. I was like, if you just told me for the next five years there would be no new superhero t uh, TV shows or movies, and instead we would have five years of only superhero games, I'd be like, okay, cool. That actually is the most fitting place for them, in my opinion. I know everyone's of different mindsets, but I think it's also a way for you to give the non-interactive aspects of TV and film a, a rest and give people access to these things in a more interactive capacity. Yeah. Which is an inherently different experience. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. Like, Superheroes on a base level are just kind of cool. And I mean, yeah, they it's are. cool to play as them. I just think the MCU has poisoned the well for a lot of people when the reality is like that MCU is not, we're not getting a Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, you know what I mean, from EA Motive. We're getting EA Motive's Iron Man. So while there's that distinction, like inherently you look at it and you go, oh, okay, well, it's too much Iron Man, but we're getting two different iterations. <laughs> we're getting two different 
types of things, you're not probably not going to see the same story. Although I highly doubt this video game character is going to be an alcoholic like he should be. So, <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we have the opportunity to see different angles of them. And that's the great thing with things like Spider-Man where the multiverse exists and hundreds upon hundreds of different variations of Spider-Man to sell, to tell different stories exists, you know? Insomniac Spider-Man is his own Spider-Man canonically. You know what I mean? So I think we can do with seeing where it goes, but I do understand the immediate God damn it. You know what I mean? I do I do understand it. Cause I saw this piece of news and I'm a I'm a superhero guy. Like I said, I'm that dude. And I was like, all right, are we really doing this again? Am I <laughs> like and then I went two Black Panther games? Why? <laughs> You know the the silver lining in all of this, and it 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 can be proven wrong. Adamantium it can be proven line. to not be a silver lining. Yeah, the adamantium line. I'm sorry. Get um, it right. We're talking about movies. God damn it! But, See, I just fucking did it. Poison the well. <laughs> this is a video yeah. game podcast. This Try is a video square game a PlayStation podcast. Though we did spend a couple minutes at the beginning talking about two movies, so I don't <laughs> do yeah, that. Those weren't superhero movies, unless you consider the guy with the hand a uh, superhero. Take my strong hands. Well, that's that's scary movie too. We weren't even talking about. Now we've talked about more movies. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, going back to, I think part of the initial fear, and even though I have loved plenty of licensed games, I think part of the fear as people who have been longtime gamers is that a return to this many licensed games, your immediate gut feeling is, oh no, we're returning to all the bad licensed games that were yeah. out. But the reality is, is that we're getting licensed games from. Well, that's it's kind of weird. It's like Raven Software did the, which they're a Call of Duty developer now, and they make a game that people love year Rip. after year. And they made Wolverine, and yeah. even though that's actually one of the better licensed superhero games, we've well, had big studios work on superhero games before that did, weren't necessarily mm-hmm. the best. So well, and you, here's you fall the, into a weird thing. Or, and not even superhero. I mean that in licensed games. Yeah. You know. Bolt on PS3 is also not very good. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like license is outside. I'm talking about like the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs game and the Megamind yeah. game and the, you know, it's like all of those is is really what I'm talking about. I have and the not that you can't have had a Legend good time of the Guardians, them, but, the licensed game. The House of Cool? Yep. I got that because it was on uh, PS Now. So I played it through <laughs> PS Now and got the platinum. Um, it's a sick movie, actually. I love that movie. I've never seen I it. I have no clue what the game is, but the movie's it's good. Not, I don't remember it being good. It was like Diablo, but no multiplayer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got to play this. It's kind of fun. I'm not going to lie to you. That's, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I think if we uh, go, But where if I was we were, going with all of it, if we're in a good spot to where at least it's all big publishers treating it as big budget games, not given the same weird, crazy deadlines to tie into movies and stuff. Like the one upside that comes into it is that licensed games are getting to exist as individual properties now. And they're not going to be like, well, we have to get this game out to coincide with the release of the next, you know, it's Spider-Man game. So we got to have it out for the next Spider-Man movie that those days are gone. It seems. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, gone is strong. I mean, yes, if within reason they can delay the game a little bit or speed development up a little bit on the game to try and make it hit at the same time as a movie or something, they're going to want to do that. 
but they're not going to compel it in the way I think they used to, to where you get games that are unfinished, that are licensed, and you start to become jaded about the possibility of licensed games. We were talking earlier this week about how two of my favorite games of all time, Transformers, War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron, Mm. uh, you got, and how those are licensed games that are fucking amazing. They're so good. They are way better than they have any right to be. They're like, you know, they're, they alongside like the Chronicles of Riddick games and the Batman Arkham games are like shining examples of how you can have really great, well-made licensed games, even at a time when they weren't known for being traditionally great games. Um, so I think hopefully we're not returning to that time, but it's still a little disheartening to see. Partially just because I think PS3 had so many unique new ideas because of the stink around the, you know, the, the kind of, uh, stink's the right word, the stink around the idea of licensed games. It's like people didn't want to do that because they weren't synonymous with being very good. So instead of having Sucker Punch be like, hey, we're going to make uh, a static shot game, they're like, yeah, fuck it. We're just going to come up with our own guy who has electric powers and make our own take on it. And that was great. And I think it gave us a new interesting IP. Um, I'm a little worried that those days might be a little more past us. But maybe not. Maybe it's a maybe it's an unfounded fear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, for now, I'm just going to go with these games look pretty. These games have been pretty good. So, I think his publisher saw after Arkham Asylum, like just put some time in, and the game will do well. But you know, we're also in a different time in the public conversation where I'm. I didn't play the game, so I, I say this uh, with knowing how you felt about it. Do you really think that Marvel's Avengers was an awful example? Was it an example of one of those badly made licensed games like before? Or was it just our expectations of games were so much higher that even though it was licensed, that's not why it was getting hit. It was just more because it was a, everyone wanted it to be a 9 or 10 out of 10, and it was more like a 7 out of 10. Is that kind of how you would feel as someone who actually played it? Or do you? Wh- why um, do you think that game got so much shit for not being good enough? Well, the the thing is, every, the thing about the game was the story was good. The games as a service aspect was not. So I think that's the biggest issue with it. Where you know they were trying to fit a circular shield into a square hole, and that did not work. But what what was in it that was fresh and new and a story was good. Um, so I think it was just trying to, again, put the, put the shield where it doesn't belong. And since the gameplay was tied to that game to the service idea, the gameplay is what faltered regardless yeah, of how good the characters are stories were. I was playing Hulk and I think my biggest criticism was like, why does he feel weak? It's the incredible Hulk. Why yeah. can't I throw cars? You know, like stuff like that, where it was like, this is not taking advantage of being superheroes. This is just a worse destiny with characters <laughs> I like. Yeah, I can see that. Huh. Well, moving along as we go there, hopefully that game ends up good and hopefully we still see interesting new IP from still AAA. I mean, if nothing else, we can always rely on AA and, and Indie to bring us new interesting ideas. Um, but I just hope that AAA doesn't fall back on only dealing with the safe bets of known IP. Because it's as excited as I am for Marvel's Wolverine, I, it's a little disappointing that the next game that we know that's coming from Insomniac is 
a licensed game when I know they can make really great original worlds, but they can also make really great entries into known IP. You're uh, you're muted. So I was just saying non-original worlds. So I was agreeing with you. Yeah. All right. Next thing up, uh, we only got a few things left here. Naughty Dog's longtime co-president Evan Wells has announced that after a 25-year stint with the company, he will be retiring later this year. Neil Druckmann announced a new leadership, which will lead the company moving forward, including himself, of course. Uh, so, best luck to Evan Wells. Here's the hoping that we uh, see Naughty Dog continue to be a bright light in the industry, regardless of how you feel about them as of late. They are still a powerhouse developer um, who have done a lot. Uh, it is a little interesting seeing them kind of stumble this year in a way that got caught by the news with the uh, the factions situation. It's uncharacteristic of them, but gaming's in a spot where longtime developers who are known for one thing are having to do or at least tinker in uncharacteristic spaces to try and evolve with the games industry, which is a weird place to be. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, next thing up uh, Baldur's Gate 3 lets you fuck a bear I mean that's enough said about that I don't have anything else to say shout out the seam charts afterwards though <laughs> and that tells you a lot about the internet mm-hmm. and as we all know the internet is just us <laughs> yeah we we talk about all the time the internet is not a good mic it's not a good thing to look and say like yeah that's a good sample of what normal people are doing <laughs> just just to clarify a little bit of nerdness here it's a druid who's transformed it is a druid into bear, bear. Yes. we're not out here fucking grizzlies just glizzies hey <laughs> but also are you not let, let me tell you this much. Let, let me tell you this much. Is it really any less horrific if you meet a guy who goes, yeah, I, I like to fuck shapeshifters who can turn into bears and look and act and sound just like a normal bear versus a guy who comes up and goes, yeah, I like to fuck bears, bro. Like, are you really going to be... At, at what point do you create a, a stipulation in your head for it? Do you really think you do or do you think Bosom's like, that, that's a weird dude? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It's hard because there's bears and then there's bears. So like <laughs> it it depends on context. So <laughs> fair point. Fair <laughs> Bear point. Bear point. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Last piece of news here. Xbox One is FTC case. There you go. Uh, that doesn't mean it's all over necessarily. The CMA was still up in question, but then earlier today, apparently Microsoft has entered into some kind of weird agreement with the CMA to try and visit and look at how they may solve some of these things to get that to go ahead and pass through maybe before their original trial that was in September. So we might be seeing the light at the end of this very long tunnel. Can't wait till <laughs> we go through all of this again when Sony buys Capcom and I have to deal with this for two years just for nothing to change. I don't think that would happen with Sony bought Capcom, be honest with you. I think it'll happen because people will just be petty. We'll get the gamers against PlayStation lawsuit <laughs> and then Phil Spencer will be there like, oh, well, given our diminished position in the video game industry, we, we can't allow Sony to have a vertical monopoly on Capcom games, and this will put us in a very bad position. Will, 
Yeah, that'll weaken our already weak hold in Japan, and we can't have that. Right. What happens to our gamers? When- Which is actually, I, I mean this with notes. That is a good point. If Sony bought Capcom, and then Capcom games stopped coming out on Xbox, Xbox would have a thing to be like, are you not creating a somewhat Japanese monopoly if, if in Japan we have almost no ability to have Japanese-made games in our... Because like Square's already kind of in bed with Sony. If they buy out Capcom outright... It's like they have Sega left. See, is is the play for Sony to sacrifice Sega on the altar and lose Persona and then just buy Square, Koei Tecmo, and Capcom and be like, you have an in in Japan, dog. I don't know what to tell you. You have Atlas. We got everybody else. But y'all can't say shit. By the way, we bought FromSoft too, so you're not getting Dark Souls. I'm going to tell you. Um, I know we're joking and having a good time with the idea. Uh, but I genuinely hope that never happens. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem is now that this has gone through, it's gonna happen. And if it's not Sony, it's gonna be Microsoft. It's not, or sorry, if it's not Sony or Microsoft, it's gonna be Amazon or Google, and or Tencent. Or Tencent. And I'm gonna be real with you. Even if these games go exclusive, I would take Sony owning all of these. Sony and Microsoft owning all of these companies over Tencent, especially. But I would take it over Amazon, and I would take it over Google. Amazon, I would be happier with before Google. Google shoot themselves in the foot every step of the way. And I, I have a Google phone and I enjoy it and I think it's a good product. But Google, Google, like Microsoft has shown in the past themselves, sometimes shut things down too early. Mm-hmm. And I could see Google buying some of these things and then suddenly being like, ah, it's not performing the way we thought, so we've closed a, a studio that's been operating just yeah. fine for 30 years before we stepped in I was gonna say, <laughs> Could you imagine the Google Graveyard website being updated to list Resident Evil and Mega Man? <laughs> you would think that at that point, Google would just sell it instead of just outright closing it, but you never know. Google are fucking crazy. They, yeah. they genuinely are. They are one of the weirdest companies that I've ever Well, known. the thing is, the for a company like Google, and, and this argument would go for Cap, uh, Amazon too, it is probably more worthwhile for them to buy Capcom, get those IPs, and shut the studios down. <laughs> the dead serious because Amazon can make Resident Evil movies for free. They can make Mega Man movies for free. They can make, you know, Dino Crisis movies for free, Phoenix Wright movies for free. And they don't have to worry about spending it on games or spending it on the, the TV shows. That is not a reality that I think is too far fetched. I don't think it's too far fetched, even though I don't know if all of those things, if all those companies still own their own movie rights. I think that they do, um, for mean? the most part. I just mean that, you know, like, I don't think Capcom's outright sold the movie licensing rights to any of their properties. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And but what's what Google I mean is by getting them, they, they get them. Correct. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't happen. You know, that doesn't happen. Let's, let's try and find a way to say this, right? Like, uh, if somebody were to buy Marvel prior to Disney buying uh, Fox. Mm-hmm they still don't get the X-Men movie property rights because oh, sure. they're still at Fox, you know, because they've been sold off prior. So that's, that's what I was thinking through. Have any of those developers or companies sold off their rights or did they just license them for a certain period? Because yeah. that's the thing is like Marvel has to continue with the fact that unless Sony ever decides to sell it back to them, they're just never going to own the movie rights to yeah. Spider-Man ever again. They're just yeah. not. The big, Unless they buy Sony. You know, right. that's not out of the question. I, God, I hope that doesn't happen. Could you imagine? Um, Oh, no more M-rated games. Um, 
you'd have a new The Last of Us every year. Without fail, they would be like, "Yes, we will find a way." With terrible every two years, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, look, we weren't going to go too much into this, and we don't have to. But I think the reality is, after this, anything is possible, and it would not shock me to see in the next couple of months, you know, a Katakawa buyout, a Capcom buyout, Square Enix, EA. Ubisoft. I hope to God they avoid Ubisoft, but it, it's this stuff I, is. I all kind of stop. hope someone buys Ubisoft just because Ubisoft is massive. They have so many developers, but I don't think Ubisoft always do a great job of keeping those developers doing the right stuff. I yeah. think that they're kind of <clears> mismanaged, uh, and I say this in the same sense. I, I don't know. I've talked about this a lot with Xbox and PlayStation. I don't know that Xbox or PlayStation buying them is the right answer either because you're adding that many people and that means you have to have that much more capacity to have good management over all those people Mm -hmm. to even make that a worthy purchase. And the moment you do, if you don't, you end up with the same thing we're hearing about Microsoft and Bethesda where Microsoft doesn't really have anybody doing things at Bethesda. So you're hearing all this disconnection between what Microsoft wants and what Bethesda wants, what Microsoft says and what they say about Bethesda and what Bethesda said about different things. And you end up with a sentence like Phil Spencer coming on and being like, yeah, we kind of didn't really know much about Redfall. We kind of like we knew, but we tried staying out of it and not being part of it. And that's not (laughs) really what you should say if you bought it and uh, say what you will about it. But that's, that is an asinine thing to say. We we bought a company and then we did nothing to make sure that the game was meeting some internal quality standard that we had. Um, That's just a crazy thing to say. So if you buy Ubisoft and suddenly get hundreds of developers, thousands of developers realistically across uh, multiple countries, Whoever buys them has to have a good plan in place to be like, this is going to be the management structure for that mm-hmm. acquisition moving forward. And you, I don't know who in the industry would do that. 100%. It shocks me that Microsoft only has Matt Booty running all that shit. It, I, it, dude, with, with Activision, once this actually goes through, if it does go through, it, it can't. And I know what they're going to try and do at first, right? They're going to fall back on what well, we're just going to keep the management that's in place at, at Activision. But they can't even but do I that because they have to fire Bobby Kotick. They have to. Yeah, and he's not all management, right? He's not He's no. not all production or anything. But it just does come with the fact of like – and Activision's probably – Activision's maybe not a bad choice because Activision's well run and they have been for a long time. By Bobby you look at Kotick. Bethesda. <laughs> you know, yeah, sure, but – Go looking at it from across the board, like right, Bobby Kodak is the, is steering the ship, but I'm talking about all the production managers and things they have for quality control. And yes, Bobby Kodak's involved in that. But then you look at a company like when they bought Bethesda, the unfortunate part is like Bethesda makes great games that I enjoy, but also if we're really looking at it from a business perspective, when they bought Bethesda, Bethesda was coming off of the back of a number of critical of uh, critical uh, mostly critically acclaimed games that all underperformed drastically. And that means that from a management standpoint, they were not business-wise managed as well as you would hope. So when you buy them and get all this IP, you would hope that Microsoft's thing would be, hey, we're doing this and we're going to step in and give you new management within this so that we can manage these projects better and try and hit more of what we want in a monetary standpoint for these games. And they didn't do that. They maybe done that with Starfield because Starfield's a more obvious winner, but they don't necessarily seem to have done that everywhere else, which is unfortunate. Um, 
So if you buy a company like Ubisoft, which we're already say we're already saying might be being mismanaged, that's a pointless purchase unless you can come in and improve the management situation. And if you can't, then Ubisoft being bought doesn't really do anything. It just shifts the ownership to someone while keeping the same things in in play. Um, can you imagine? But I don't like that many, idea uh, of consolidation at that at that level. It's just a. I just think it's going to happen at this point. Um, you, you might be right. I just don't like the thought of it. I hope I that's not where it goes. But Can go you ahead, imagine what were you say? how many Horizon games we'd get if Sony bought Ubisoft? <laughs> you could ostensibly have one every two years. I, I, I mean that. I do too. I don't know if it would be at the quality people wanted. I mean, you would hope, but it does solve a lot of development issues. It's just also, does Sony want to dilute their IP that much? And we've talked a little bit about that and maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know because you have examples across the board right now. You're having superhero movies doing way worse than they were doing. And so there's some idea that maybe uh, franchise fatigue exists. And then on the flip side, you have um, like star Wars continuously blowing out and getting huge numbers from all these TV shows and new movies and all that, that continue to come out. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I think you have examples on both sides to where pumping out stuff, uh, at a good rate can be uh, a negative and a positive. So I don't, I don't know. It all comes down to quality, I suppose, because even if something is happening a bit too often, if it's good, you're still going to be like, well, oh, you know, I, I'm getting a little tired of Star of seeing Star Wars, but this is at least good. That you know, mm-hmm. kind of like what we talked about with the superhero games. It all comes back around to what you can pull off uh, in a reasonable way. Uh, if if Disney bought Sony and thought that they could put out a mostly same quality or at least quality enough, The Last of Us every two years to keep that going, they probably would. That weird thought process that that is. Um, but we all know that Apple's going to buy Sony, so it doesn't matter. I mean, I agree with that, yeah. They need someone to make those cars. <laughs> uh, all right. We are at the point of the episode where we go into questions. So these are usually slotted in anywhere we feel like there's a good fit for them. The rest of these just didn't have an obvious spot within the news. Uh, so instead, the lovely listeners who decided to take to Twitter discord facebook and ask us questions are getting to highlight here uh so first question we have comes from john davis also you know stingray x as you may know what were your games of choice as kids during summer vacation so you're out of school don't have school for two and a half months what are you playing fallout 3 fallout 3 okay now you're choosing to go as kids as and completely fair answer but you're looking more teenage years i would assume because i mean you I didn't are get a video basically game. the same age right yeah but i didn't get a console until i was like 16 oh yeah, yeah. i, I, I remember you saying like the 360 that. or whatever was your first one xbox or OG xbox og xbox yeah but you weren't 16 when you got the og xbox were you i don't fucking know how old i was how when did that come out um 2003 two okay so thir- <laughs> 17 what the fuck? How old <laughs> what am I? math are you doing? I don't know. Were how you not old born I am. in ninety three? I was born in ninety two. So yeah. Ninety two. Look, you're older than I am. Ten, fifteen, I guess. And it <laughs> felt like way later in life, but yeah. So <laughs> but enough. yes. So then I mean at that point, I guess the r- real answer would be just at Radio Future because that was really the only game I had. 
Yeah, coming from a fellow uh, poor boy. I don't know if you're a poor, but coming from a poor boy uh, who you, you got games very sparse, like oh. you know, scarcely throughout the year. SSX tricky. Ah, my answer is uh, a killer answer, uh, and I did do a little game trading. I, I'm not going to act like I was a star for games, but you know, like I had to trade other people for games if I wanted to play something mm-hmm. different. Um, but usually, what would end up happening? Uh, I spent a large number of summers playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two, and uh, that was PS One, of course. And then eventually, when we got our own PS Two for Christmas, finally one year. Um, for about two summers, I would play. Um, oh God, what is that? Uh, I, I can't believe I'm uh, ACV Offroad Fury, and I, I technically Offroad Fury Two is the one that was usually what was being played. Uh, that game has got a killer soundtrack, and another summer game shout out: Dave Mira BMX on PS One, right alongside Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two. Fantastic games, fantastic soundtracks a big reason i like the music i like today mm-hmm. those games all had banger soundtracks uh offered fury 2 hold on let me let me give you some information here offered fury 2 had the most killer soundtrack bro it had corn static x like you know someone who likes heavy music like you know tony hawk pro skater 2 had like a lot of like punk and reggae and stuff in it which is good uh, and then I remember Dave Mira BMX had like the uh, uh, had like Sublime and stuff in it, which was also cool as a kid. Um, but Off Road Fury Two had let me, let me scroll through here. Somebody's got this in a list somewhere. It had Cypress Hill, Stereo Mud, Deadsy Head On, Lost Profits. Uh, let's see. Alien Ant Farm was on there. Corn was on there. System of a Down was on there. Filter. Dude, you have a killer, killer list. That's solid. So good. I miss that time period where all games had like weirdly heavy soundtracks. Like, and it was always interesting too because like it was always paired against like hip hop. Like, they really played the spectrum because there's nothing like turning on, um, Need for Speed Underground One, and having the but dum dum dum, and then having Need for Speed Underground Two, where they have like Static X and and stuff going, and I'm like, yeah, okay, like yeah, I was listening to some like crazy ATL hip hop one second, now I'm listening to like a dude screaming about a dirt house. <laughs> You're like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's go. Um, that's like one of my favorite things of old racing games because uh, Midnight Club La- Los Angeles also had a killer soundtrack. It had like multiple songs from the Nine Inch Nails. Um, what's the name of that album? Um, it's not The Descent. It's, it's the one that came after Year Zero. Um, it's going to kill me if I can't think of it. It was a free album that he put out. It was a really interesting idea. Uh, the Slip great album also i'm pretty sure it was need for speed underground 2 had that killer snoop dog the doors riders on the storm remix i don't know if you've ever heard that song but it's awesome <laughs> no i don't think so you should look it up one day if you get chances i think willie nelson might be in it it's awesome crazy song you surprised it's ever existed <laughs> uh rmg 0731 also known as at turning amish on twitter says out of curiosity 
Do you guys have any particular spending habits in regards to certain types of games and certain pubs slash devs? Personally, I find myself willing day one for most JRPGs as my top genre, as well as smaller sales uh, size as I then tend to wait on Western titles for sales. Um, I'm not sure if I understand the middle part of that as well as smaller sales size. Either way, do you have any particular, Chris, um, spending habits with certain genres or types of games or just general publishers and developers that you more or less stick to without fail? Um, I mean, not anymore, but if you told me that a Bethesda WRPG was coming out, I would have bought it for my PlayStation on day one. Um, <laughs> I, now you'll just buy it for your computer day one. No, I don't have to buy it. It's free. Um, That's true. <laughs> I think I would probably say... You'll re-up your, your sub day one. <laughs> yeah. You know, something like... Uh, you know, maybe I'd put CD Projekt in that Pantheon now. Atlas games, I'll probably buy day one. Um, it just really, for me, it just depends on what looks fun. Um, I don't have a particular genre that I love anymore. Um, so for me, it's a matter of like, oh, this game looks sick. I'm going to get into that, you know, and that that honestly hasn't happened in the while. I think Immortals of Avium is probably the first game I've seen that's not in a franchise that I know where I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, mm. that's that's really it. I would say that my spending habits have really changed in the past two years, and I've done a good job of sticking to it. I thought it'd be hard at first. Um, but I've really just adopted the don't buy a game until you're gonna play it. Unless it's like a pre-order for a collector's edition where you're wanting to get something that's limited quantity. Uh, other than that, I don't think I've bought a game day one in a hot minute unless it was Chris. It was my turn to buy a game and I wasn't ready to play it, but Chris had recently bought something. So I was like, yeah, I'll go ahead and buy it because I know <laughs> I'll play it eventually. And it gives Chris the ability to play it right now. Um, outside of that, I have very much landed on, yeah, I'll buy the game whenever I get around to it. I didn't buy Final Fantasy 16 until the Tuesday after the Thursday that it came out because I was still on Star Wars and I didn't know how long I was going to be. So I was like, why do I need to spend the money right now? Mm -hmm. Who knows what could happen? Maybe I don't play Final Fantasy 16 for another two months and maybe it'll be off. Like maybe it'll be cheaper in two months. No, I didn't. I was pretty excited for that game. So as soon as I got through with Star Wars and I was like, yeah, there's nothing else immediately on my list. That's any kind of pulling 16 looks awesome. Fuck yeah, let's go. I bought it. Um, Star Wars Jedi. I didn't buy that game until a month, two months after it came out. Um, so I would say mine have really changed. I think used to, I would be, it really comes with age and also financial responsibility, not necessarily financial bring home. Cause there was a point in time where I made enough money to be irresponsible. Uh, but I had no, I had not enough responsibilities to stop me from being like, maybe I shouldn't spend my entire check on this. Um, but also, there's so many games. I think it's a harder question now. There's so many games, and I have less time. So I think if I was going to say anything, my spending habits is buy it when I'm going to play it. <laughs> that's my newest one. Uh, that's probably not that exciting, but it's effective. <laughs> and and 
if it had if it wasn't for the fact that I already have a backlog from before that became my philosophy, and then I technically get backlog from games at Chris buys that I don't have to that I may end up wanting to play. The one benefit to not buying it until you're ready to play it is that there is no backlog. A backlog implies that you own it and have yet to play it. Yeah. You do not have a backlog if you only buy it once you're ready to play it. I don't have a backlog because I just buy shit because I like spending money, which is really bad. Speaking of which, Dude. I just bought a game that you need to put on your uh, your radar because it looks fucking sick. Severed Steel? Yeah, watch, watch, the, watch, that, watch the beginning of that. All right, let's go. Live reactions. Are you guys ready? Holy shit, my phone was loud. <laughs> Bro, is this not a VR game? No. This should be a VR game. It should. This looks amazing. Yeah. I wasn't going to buy it, and then I saw that tra- and I saw the beginning of this, and I went, all right, I just bought it. Bro, what? This is like... Uh, Oh, what is the game that does have a VR iteration that I cannot think of? Red and white. Oh, uh, super hot. Whenever you, yeah, super hot. This is like super hot on crack. Yeah, that looks amazing. Yep. Also, another game that kind of immediately made me be like, okay, hell yeah, that looks awesome. I don't even remember the name of it. Tepang Two. A few weeks. Huh. Tepang Two. Is that what it was called? The, the one that I was like, one? bro, is yes. Yeah, it looks amazing. So Chris sent good. me a weird thing. He didn't say why or anything. He just sent me a video and was like, dude. And I watched it. <laughs> and my immediate, like, as going, I was like, is this like a spiritual successor to fear? Because I am fucking down. You know how bad I want to refeel the experience of playing Fear One or Fear Two for the first time. Oh what I wouldn't give. And they're vastly different experiences. What's weird. I love fear one and fear two for completely different reasons. They're very different games, but they're both good. Ah, good times. All right. We have another question here to be our last one before we move into the velvet's corner. Uh, pork chops says when it comes to playing PVP or even PVE games, do you guys prefer to play games that have a meta characters loadout slash build that is static or do you enjoy the meta game that the developers play with gamers where they continually buff and nerf the game, even if the current meta isn't game breaking, but it said, quote, that's not how we intended you to play, end quote. With my time being so limited for gaming recently, I can't seem to get behind the ever evolving meta game that keeps uh, getting adjusted. Just give me the best balance set. I don't need to min max any character, laugh out loud. So, Chris, I think that you're a better example of this to some degree because of your long periods of loving apex. Uh, but how do those thought processes go into other games? Do those, does, does that type of play where they're constantly buffing and nerfing things, does that actually go into things like uh, MLB the show? Do they do that? Or is it more of a set? Like you're, you know what you're getting to MLB the show does it a lot uh, every week or every, I think it's every three weeks now they've ch- changed the, frequency they they bring players up based on real world performance and stuff like that um but actually the biggest example recently has been in marvel snap there's a bunch of like ota changes which change cards and all this kind of stuff and i like it um but i don't like it if that makes sense you know like there are cards in snap right now that are really good and like high evolutionary is an incredible card that I have a lot of fun with. Sadie runs high evolutionary a lot, and it's it's a, it's it's the meta card right now. 
and they're probably going to nerf it because it's so good. But it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I invested 6,000 collector's tokens in this. <laughs> I invested a lot of time playing and learning this deck. You know, even just like small stuff, like I've done splits on all my cards, which that means you've upgraded the cards to different levels. And then you get to max level and you split it and it gets a different backing and some different animation on it. So you can spend a lot of credits towards that and then they change a card and ruin it. Like one of my favorite cards was Dr. Doom because he would play them and then he'd shoot out two Doom bots that were five power on sure. each other location. And they changed that so that those those cards are all those the two Doom bots he sends out are four fours, which doesn't sound like a lot, but a six fifteen is significantly better than a six twelve. So they you know they made that card worse to the point where now he was in every deck and now he's in almost no deck right so they kind of killed him and that that's one of my issues with stuff like this of balance patches and balance changes you know i used to say in apex yeah okay the spitfire is incredible so everyone should use the spitfire who cares you know you know, and I get fixing it and making it more balanced, but that's who gives a shit if there's a gun that's really good. Make it spawn less or whatever, but we've talked about this a little bit and it's been a while. So I think it's worth bringing it up now. But I've also never added in the fact that uh, what you're talking about with Snap is exactly what goes on in Yu Gi Oh! And as you know, I do not play Yu Gi Oh! in a digital format really at all. I test decks on this uh, deck thing, and I've played you a few times on YGO Pro. Mm -hmm. um, and that's different. Me and you don't have the means of dueling in person. Uh, so YGO Pro is a good way for us to just pull idea. And, and, and it's been a while since we've done it. Uh, we should actually do it again soon if you'd be down. Mm -hmm. um, but point being, uh, I do have that in a real-world capacity. And I understand its uh, utility in the real-world capacity in which they use it, and I understand its capacity in games. I think the difference is, is that sometimes with a video game, and sometimes even in real-life things, you just want to come in and it be a splash and then go away. Like, you can still love that game and have fond memories of it, but you may not necessarily want to play it for the rest of your life, and that's okay. And so you think about some of these games where you would rather, instead of it being a game where every month or two months or three weeks or whatever it be, they constantly nerf and buff things, you'd rather it be unchanged for two years, have your time with it, it eventually fades off because eventually everybody has played that loop out to a point where it's no longer compelling enough. And then the majority of people move on while a few people kind of hold on to it because they still just enjoy it. That's well, what games like The Last of Us did when you have like uh, factions in The Last of Us 1 is still being played because it's still a good game. But you couldn't play that for a full year because they're not changing anything. You're going to get bored because you will you will get as good as you can get with a certain set of things more or less and you'll be kind of done with it. And that's okay. But just like in Yu-Gi-Oh, it is fun having to suddenly change your deck and be like, oh, Though now my ratios changed because this card came off of the ban list, or maybe it was limited or semi-limited, and now it's unlimited, or now it is now it's limited when it wasn't before. So either I got to take that out of my deck entirely, or I've got to rethink through what deck possibilities I even have. Maybe I want to make a new deck with things that have changed, and it does keep a sense of um, 
liveliness to the game that is really fun. Definitely when you have a group of people that are playing it. Uh, so like since we get together once a week and we do Yu-Gi-Oh! Night, we're constantly talking about those changes and how they're exciting and sometimes worrying and all those different things. Uh, and so I enjoy that. But I'd find that in gaming, it's the same way. I only have the bandwidth to do that with one game. And since so many games have opted towards going that route, it just makes me not want to play them at all <laughs> because I can do one game like that and I have a good time with it. And the moment that a second game wants me to do that, I almost always end up dropping both of them. It's why I don't really like getting super deep into uh, that kind of stuff in any other card game. I do that with Yu-Gi-Oh! And I'll play Magic the Gathering Commander with friends, uh, or I'll play Digimon TCG, which is incredibly fun. Uh, But I am not getting that deep into it because I don't want to burn myself out on not only the new game I choose to dip into, but then maybe risk burning out my ability to care about Yu-Gi-Oh! Play Marvel Snap. So... If I do, I, I, you're going to make me hate either Marvel Snap or Yu-Gi-Oh or both. And I, I genuinely mean that I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> it you, help if it wasn't a card game. If it, I mean that, yeah. if it wasn't a card game, I think I, I think I'd be okay. And that could be because right now I don't have a game that I'm consistently playing that changes its meta. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, in, in a video game format, but I do have it in a card game, so I feel like I could play one game that way. But I don't want it to be a card game. I, I feel like that's going to take away from my enjoyment of Yu-Gi-Oh. I just think you'd be surprised how much different Marvel Snap is than Yu-Gi-Oh. And it's it's honestly the time investment, too. Marvel Snap takes three minutes. Like, you're not losing yeah. anything by taking a shit and playing one game on Ranked Ladder and then moving on. <laughs> I mean, no, I can definitely try and play it. But if I get to where I do enjoy it and then I start playing it, I know it's not the same as Yu-Gi-Oh! Nor is Magic the Gathering, but getting super in-depth into games that still share similar things where you have a... You know what I mean? That's You have a turn. Here's deck-building meta mm. ideas and stuff. They're too similar in that particular regard to where I feel like they would start to blur together because it sounds like, from what you're saying, it's actually a lot like Magic. Yeah. Iffy. And I don't mean that in a in a pejorative way, but I mean that in the sense of you have a power, and of course all game like you know Yu Gi Oh you have attack and defense, yeah. <laughs> and in Magic you have what is it toughness and resistance or whatever the fuck it's I don't remember resilience maybe uh, you essentially have your ability how much you attack and how much you can take from an attack mm-hmm. uh, as or all those things are. Um, if I was really going to say anything, Snap clearly is like Hearthstone. <laughs> That's actually, mm. but Hearthstone's not that indifferent to, you know, uh, uh, indifferent to magic either. It's iffy. I would like to hear your thoughts on it, but it is not. A I mean, thing. I'll download and try it, but I just, I don't think it's going to be something that you should expect me to get lost in. Because even if I enjoy it, much like with Digimon, I'll just be like, I, I may play that like once a month. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to get, but at that in. point, <laughs> just like that bear <laughs> yeah buddy because here's the thing once you start playing it then i'm gonna be like all right let's play all right let's play and then i'll play shitty decks so i don't like immediately crush your soul and then like once in a while i'll throw in like the deck i've climbed the highest with which that's the thing i love about snap but i do love about meta games is the deck i'm playing is off meta and it's so much more fun because of that because no one expects it and that's one of the mm-hmm. reasons i don't Rogue like decks, yes call them that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I don't That's like. That's my favorite. I don't like um, that they change stuff because High Evolutionary is a great card. He has incredible effects, but everyone is playing High Evolutionary, so 
if you if you run my deck, which only has one counter, and if you get that one counter, you might as well quit because you're going to lose. But if you don't, I win every time. I've won that game with the other people have full lanes, and I have three cards on the board, and I won because my my yeah. deck is entirely built around taking down their um, their power, and no one expects it because that's not how the game is played right now. Yeah, my favorite version of Yu-Gi-Oh! is usually running rogue decks. Uh, yeah. That's why I'm working on a Phantom Knights um, Layer of Darkness deck right now that doesn't have any of the hand traps that you'd expect in it. Doesn't mm-hmm. have any of that mess. So the fun part of it is it's a deck that doesn't run any card that people would consider to be staples in yeah. anything. And yet I have beat one of the hardest bots on YGO Pro, the Dark Magician bot that has all sorts of crazy stuff by means of an extremely out there weird deck. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. Um, I have most of those cards, but I ordered the rest to have the deck in real life. And I'm very excited for it to all come in so I can start playing with it because there's nothing like playing something that you don't see often. You know, it's exactly. not as fun to have friends playing. Uh, you know, something that was kind of happening whenever you were going and you were making that Albaz Despian stuff, which mm-hmm. is... That was so big in the meta at the time that playing you, I was like, oh, I play so many people to do this. And it's like... <laughs> It's not that it's not. It's a fun deck. I know why people like it. It's fun and it's incredibly powerful. But you just kind of become jaded to it. And there's nothing quite as exciting as seeing somebody whip out something crazy. Like whenever someone throws out a Raigeki in Yu-Gi-Oh, which is such an old card that recently came off of the limited list, uh, to where you can just have three three Raigeki in a deck. There's nothing quite as amazing as someone just playing Raigeki and destroying all your monsters and you having no way to stop it. It's so funny. <laughs> so, to that end, yes, the ability for Yu Gi Oh is a little different because clearly they're not nerfing or buffing. What they're doing is banning and banning or unbanning or releasing new cards that change the way that all cards interact. And you have 35, there's there's so many thousands of Yu Gi Oh cards because it's been around for 25 years. Uh, so, the other fun part of that is the fun interactions you can get because suddenly a new card, they may have not thought about the fact that a card from 19 years ago with a weird one-off effect works really well with this new card. And that's the, that's the magic, you know? So to that end, I agree with you on video games, but I also understand its purpose. So you got to pick and choose. The only downside is that it less and less are we having games that just come out and have a traditional trajectory and timeline because everybody wants that, limitless, no expiration date, money fountain. That's just what they want. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, as we always throw out, we are about to go into the sexiest part of the show, Velvet's Corner. But for any of you who don't like going into that and maybe you don't know what the Velvet's Corner is, it is where we have uh, Velvet Thunder, one of our patrons and uh, listeners, who sends in either a funny question or game or something that's just kind of usually over the top and it gets into some pretty weird, spicy territory. Um, So if that's not your bag, we will see you next week. Before we let you go, though, Chris, what would you like the uh, community stake be this week? you have something in mind? I like the meta question. Tell me about your favorite meta games. Yeah. 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 Okay, there you go. Pork Chops, you have unwittingly created the next community stake question. Or or, uh, or tell me what animal you want to fuck. 
Ooh, which video game corner. music? Which video game movie is your favorite, and why is the only correct answer "Game Over" featuring Frankie Muniz? Have you seen <laughs> that movie? Yes, I have. That seen movie, movie fucks. I love that movie. The movie's great. If you die in the game, you die in real life. I'm going to watch that. Great game. Movie. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I just uh, we're apparently a movie podcast. We've done that before, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we've done that once. Um, all right. Like so times, if you want to be part of that community, stick head over to Twitter at TriangleSQRD. Follow us on there. If you want to uh, not use Twitter, but you still want to be active with us, you can head over to the Discord by clicking in the description below. And whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services, remember that if you like what you had here, consider rating the show or reviewing the show, depending on what you are listening to it on. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube and you want to chat with us about something we talked about in the episode, feel free to throw it down in the comments below we'd love to hear from you um without further ado we will see you guys next week and this has been episode 313 but if you're staying around to get sexy like you should take your clothes off i advise you to stay around and get sexy it's very important to us i'm a druid right now i think chris is i'm ready chris has been thinking about fucking that bear this entire episode yeah i can see it in his face you can see it in his eyes chris is gonna walk up into the forest Look that bear dead in the eyes, and you're just going to start hearing. Velvet's Corner. There you go. And that bear is going to drop its, uh, its metaphorical panties. That's hot. And Chris will, go, Chris will go to town. But just so you know, it's a druid bear. <laughs> it is a man. <laughs> uh, a, who, a who man. Um, uh, uh, all right. Chris, we have a uh, a game. Velvet oh. decided that his uh, his challenge to this, us this week would be to play a game. But I'm going to tell you right now, the stakes are high. The stakes are very high. Stakes so, are high. Coming directly from Velvet himself, I thought it might be fun to play a game this week. You must each pick five games. Each game must start with a letter of your first name. Um both of our names are, of course, five letters, so that works very well. Or at least, you know, you're Christopher, but you can just do Chris, clearly. Yeah, I'll <laughs> go with that. Uh, then after we've selected the games, we look up the Metacritic score of each of the oh, games. Golly. The winner is the person with the... So this is golf rules. The winner is the person with the lowest score <laughs> after they're all added up. Oof. Um, the loser must declare the Callisto Protocol to be their favorite game. Okay. There's a few stipulations I'm curious about here, Chris. You, you by you know, by by nature of where we are, would you consider the Callisto Protocol a, a, a suitable answer for you for C? That is my answer for C. Yes, <laughs> the Callisto Protocol. Can I take? Hold on. Can I go with Christopher and take five letters out of that name? Because that's my name. My birth certificate says Christopher. Hey, I don't. I mean, if we're looking at the exact rules, you must each pick five games, but each game must start with a letter of your first name. All right. He didn't say that it's because our names are both five. I call you Chris Figs, but you're Christopher. So, I mean, yeah. if you want to get, All right. want to get out there, you have a lot more opportunity than I do. That's the that's I only. A, well, that's, you have a you have a, a leg up. I have a letter I want to use, but you have that letter too. So we'll see if you're if you take the game I want to take. Well, here's the difference: the majority of your name is individual is. is unique letters yeah mm -hmm. you have 
two H's in there, but that's not that bad. Uh, no, you have not. two R's in there. But my name is four letters. <laughs> yeah. This is much harder than I thought it was. I could also just choose five names, five games with, that start with a B. You could. If we were you know? going for highest, this would definitely be easier. But I think I have it in the bag. I'm pretty positive. All right. Now, this is going to feel weird, but I'm going to choose to put each of my letters out into the text document so I can visualize what games I want to go along with here. All right. Uh, now, here's the thing. Same. I don't know how many games start with T that don't have the <laughs> as the, the game that gives you a T, uh, the word that gives you a, a T. Do we just um, go with you can go with let's just say you can go with the or you can go with the after the. I, I feel like that seems fair. I may be wrong. Maybe there's a lot of games that start with a T. I just can't think of them. Tacoma. It's like, but that's yeah. a well-reviewed game. So I'm not going to choose that. <laughs> um, though, I mean, I guess if I had to be compelled. All right. So we have Callisto Protocol here. All right. Uh, let, let me think through here. I have a good answer for one of the T's. Uh, I'm, I'm going to consider its account. All right, so Chris, one of my T's, I'm going with a cheat code, I'm going to say here, but it, I think it fits within the rules we've described. Uh, the Lord of the Rings Gollum. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Did I beat you to it? Yeah, that was why I, why I switched the, the letter. Okay, so I got to say, we're going first come, first serve. So that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. It, it, I, I've already taken a great one for R, so you kind of uh, fucked there because Ride to Hell Retribution, baby. I couldn't. I, I knew it was Ride to something. I just couldn't remember the name. Okay, of it. first off, do how you, are you taking? Do you know two what game I'm talking about? And yes, I do. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Okay. I got oh, two. If, though, since it's, fine. it's I got since two. it's first come first serve, yeah. If you have a second one, go ahead. But here, moving forward, we'll do. We'll each do one letter. I don't actually. Are those the? No, you have you have E as an option. Yeah, I'm going with. We'll go with two. Because. And another T. So, okay, you you choose your next game. I know I've kind of gotten ahead on that. And then we'll do a letter each to try and level the playing field. Okay, I'm going to take an R. Okay. And it's going to be Redfall. Oh, good choice. Hmm. Good choice. I don't actually know which one's worse, Rodale Retribution or Redfall. They're both not very highly uh, you know, esteemed games. We'll figure that out in a minute. We don't want to cheat ourselves. We can have the glory of finding out our, uh, our, our things there. Okay. B. I feel like this is going to be a little hard. I'm trying to think of... Do you want to go or do you want me to start go? with the B? Because I have one. No, you go ahead. Or I thought you just... Oh, yeah. Sorry. I guess if we're, we're at two. I, mean, I don't ahead. have one for T. I have one for my second R. And I am going to take the PS3 title, R.I.P.D. Well, I feel like I know that name. Because it's a very popular graphic novel with a very bad movie. R.I.P.D. The game. I've definitely seen. Yeah. <laughs> this cover. Oh, yeah. That's right. The Rest in Peace Department. Who was in this fucking movie? Was it like Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges or some yes, shit? Yes, correct. God, I forgot. Oh, man. What a time. All right. Let me think through. Oh, man. This is hard because you got to think about games that fit these letters. And I'm trying not to Google immediately, you know? Yeah. It would have been a lot easier with uh, the best games because I had a good list for that. Oh, I'm sure you did. Because you C's. remember I had games Chrono that you Trigger. enjoyed a lot better. Easy W. <laughs> <laughs> that is an easy W. 
Um, okay, let me think through what may be one of the worst rated games. Some of them I think are old enough that I don't even know if they are on Metacritic, and that kind of sucks because there's like oh. games I could see myself being bad enough for. I'm gonna, I think I might cheat, but I have one. So go ahead. Man, it's really hard to think about games like Bayonetta comes to mind, but it's like Bay- Bayonetta is a, a pretty well-received game. It is. Um, it's weird because usually you'd say if the game doesn't have a Metacritic score, you'd get a zero, but that's that's like the ultimate cheat code for this game, so I don't want that to be it. I'm going to check on Metacritic for one reason. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the game. Go ahead. But I just got to see if it's even on there. The E.T. game from Atari that sank the fucking gaming industry Ooh, from E. Let's see. Um, so let's see, Metacritic, uh, E.T. Atari. I doubt that it's it is because, yeah, it's too old. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's the game that is the most obvious. I think I've finished. I think I finally finished my list. If you finished your list, go ahead. All right. Th- this one is a little iffy because I'm taking out the prefix, but I'm going with Operation Raccoon City for, for O. I'll let it slide. Okay. Because, I mean, the game is Resident Evil, but that doesn't really matter at that point. Right. So, with E, I'm going with Elder Scrolls Blades. Oh, did that game review poorly? I don't actually know, but that is an interesting choice. Okay. I remember people hating it. So, I'm going with... that, But that feels like one of those like console people went to phone expecting a console game, and it clearly wasn't that, but I'm curious. All right, let's find out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to well, check the Metacritic, because I might as well start filling out mine. I mean, you can't change the answer, but I'm I'm, not gonna uh, I'll allow you to go ahead and do that. All right, let's see. Oh, hell of a pick. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. All right. Let me get on my ball here. What's a B game that just sucks ass? This is genuinely hard because, like, I know I could just whip out, you know, games that start with E. I'm, I don't want to do that because I want it to kind of be something that I'm aware of that I know didn't review well. So you got to start thinking of games that I'm so limited because I have five letters. Like, I don't have any play. That fucking sucks, Chris. <laughs> Damn your parents. Why couldn't my name have been like Bretford or something? Bretford. <laughs> Bradford von Hammerschmock. <laughs> yeah. Is this yeah, average? You know. Are we taking the average or the total score? As far as I can tell, it's total score. He says the winner is the person with the lowest score after adding them all up. Okay. My score is 246. I can't believe you took Gollum so fast. Oh, what a good answer. What a good fucking answer. You know what, though? I managed to pick a game that was worse. <laughs> RIPD has a 26. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's Ride to Hell Retribution at? I'm looking up. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Holy shit. I didn't even know this was possible. Well, where are we at, buddy? You want the highest score for it or the lowest score? I thought totally... it was an Xbox 360 exclusive. No. Was it not? It was not. I mean, go with the highest the score. The highest I score guess. is 19. The <laughs> lowest score is 13. Ooh. How? How do you make a game that bad? Well, that's I found I found a good cheat code right there. <laughs> the first review. It just says disastrous. 
<laughs> there are no more adjectives to describe a title like Ride to Hell Retribution. <laughs> Holy fuck from Destructoid. No word exists for the level of disgust I have for everybody involved in this blasphemous making. That is a hell of a, a hell of a sentence, by the way. I can't think of very many games that have B in the beginning. Could have gone with uh, uh, Borderlands on Vita. Borderlands on Vita is actually not a bad choice, or, but the problem is, is that you go with you, you go with highest score. That implies that regardless of where it released, you have to be okay with it. And Borderlands true. Two on not on Vita is a perfectly great game. Like <laughs> everyone reviewed well. I feel like there's some T games. Uh, two Worlds Two for T. Okay. All right. Um, Excuse me. That may be a wrong choice, but I, I'm willing to to take that. It was, it was a wrong choice. Really? Is it like in the 70s? 75. That's Oh, you know what? That game probably got fucking updated after the DLCs came out. Yeah, <laughs> PC. What is it on PS3 out of curiosity? I will take the I'll take what I said, but I'm curious as to what like the original 360 and PS3 versions. Um PC 75, PS3 70. That's not low at all. Okay, so two worlds two. Um, that fills out my T. Oh, I've got a B. Oh, you got a B. It just struck me. I got a P. You got I don't a know B. why. Oh my God. Balan Wonder Wonder Ooh, that's World? a good one. Balan Wonder World. Okay. <laughs> Balan whatever. It's Wonder something. Balan Tax Evasion. <laughs> okay, so Balan and that leaves E. And that E is, is going to be a freaking hard one. All right, Chris, are you ready? Hit me, baby, one more time. Two games that I'm aware of. Okay. And that I think are interesting potential choices are either Evolve. Oof, all right. Or Entwined. Evolve got a lot of controversy around it, but I think it was just because it was a follow-up to Left 4 Dead. I don't know if it actually reviewed poorly so much as it didn't sell the way that it was. Entwined, if I remember, is f- the first game from the people, the studio that just, <laughs> just announced their closing, um, that made the, um, <clears throat> well, that was at least rumored to be working on Sly Cooper. Um, can't think of their name right now for some reason. But I'm going to go of the two. I'm going to say Entwined. Mm. I'm going to say that even though the Evolve was disappointing, it probably landed in the 70s. 77. Uh, and that's just disappointing. Yep. Okay, let's go Entwined. I'm going to guess it's in the 60s at maybe the high 60s. 59. Hey, that's not a bad choice. Okay, so we have Entwined at a 59. All right. So I can't believe let's quick, 19. <laughs> let's quick, quick math this real quick for me. I thought the Lord of the Rings Golem was bad. I knew Ride to Hell was not a beloved game, uh, but I didn't know it was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know the score? This yeah, go ahead. Up. Um, so I came in with uh, Callisto Protocol at 70. <laughs> uh, Redfall at 56. Did you do the math? Yep. <laughs> Redfall at 56. Operation Raccoon City at 52. Elder Scrolls Blades at 42. RIPD at 26 for a total of 246. Brett, Bound Wonderworld, 51. Ride to Hell, 19. Entwined, 59. Gollum, 39, Two Worlds, 275 for 243. Go 200 and fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, we I like that we at least both had incredibly low scored games. Yeah. You didn't have a 19, but you had a 26. I did. That's pretty rough. Okay, Chris, I need you to take a second, catch your breath, and confess your love. Mm-hmm. Think of it like an AA meeting. What? Like, my name's Chris. <laughs> my name is Chris, and I am being forced to say the Callisto Protocol is my favorite bad game of all time. Not being forced to say, come on, Chris, you must declare. Do you declare? <laughs> I do declare that the Callisto Protocol is my favorite game to commit suicide to. <laughs> oh, Chris. I'm sorry. You can't even lose gracefully. No, I cannot. It's okay. I don't blame you. All right. Uh, we will see you guys next week for episode 314 of Triangle Squared. But this is the end of the sexiest section in gaming. Velvet's Corner. And we will see you. You didn't fucking fix it. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. I love. Suck my dick. One of these days, I'm just going to come back and it's going to be a full like three and a half minute song with a chorus and everything. (laughs) And then you're still going to end it without finishing it (laughs) (laughs) it's still gonna end on that note yeah (laughs) yeah it's gonna be a whole law like love song and everything the rise and the rise of velvet to the point where he gets the velvet's corner and that's gonna be the end of it is velvet's corner toss some come to your grizzly it's gonna be like an epic where you you learn of the tale of how velvet got velvet's corner and it's gonna be like and his final pride was Velvet's corner. It's gonna be yeah. For <laughs> just wait. Just, just you wait. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Thank you. As a shout out, as we always do, a love for our patrons that we have. We shout out each and every one of our patrons while the list is still reasonable enough to do so. So, without further ado, we'd like to shout out Spencer, Brendan, Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Red Eye. Uh, we have Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sandrude. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week.